Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 100 of Through the Years, the podcast reviews Ring of Honor, show by show from the beginning. I'm Trevor Dame, joined as always by the co-host, Matt Feuerstein. Matt, we've done it. We've made it to 100. I, I don't know if to be proud, ashamed, conflicted. Uh, I know it's just a number, but it does, I mean, I'm, you know, there's something about the big round number, Matt. We made it to a, we've done a hundred of these, which seems insane. You know, if we'd done a weekly podcast, we would have gotten to this like three years ago. So it's not, but we don't. So you should all be thankful that we actually stuck with it this long. It's been five and a half years or more, actually. And we farted out a hundred episodes. And you know what? I'm proud of it. Are you proud of it? I am honestly proud of it. I, I, you know, like, I think we don't, you know, I'm the, we're both big on self-deprecation. I think this is a good podcast. I think we made something, you know, that, uh, I think this kind of thing I would like to listen to, you know, when, when you came up with the idea, I, you know, we talked about this a lot, the idea of like, oh, you know, there are shows, the great podcasts, like the old, where the big boys play that do like the chronological podcast for WCW or WWE and like ring of honor deserved one of those that I'm. Like, I am glad there's a world now where even if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, Matt, like, we, we've we done 100 episodes. We've done, you know, the first few years. I think you get a pretty good history if you listen to the show. I hope you get maybe, like, three laughs out of those 100 episodes. I think that's pretty good. Well, bad news, you will get hit by a bus tomorrow, but good news, you're going to survive. This this is, like, really, like, tempting fate here. <laughs> but, um... I just want to thank everybody. I want to thank everyone that's ever listened. I want to thank all of our guests who have been great. I want to thank anyone that's ever promoted the show in any way on Twitter or on their own podcast. I just, I am really grateful. And, you know, like I always say, your time is the biggest thing you can give in this life. And the the older I get, the more, the more that really hits home. And the fact that, you know, I know some people, Matt, have been with us for all 100 episodes. So the fact they have spent probably, on average, you know, probably approaching 300 hours of their life, spent it on us, like, I can't thank you enough or apologize enough. Thank you so much. Exactly. I was going to say the same thing. Like, for anybody who spent even one second listening to this, like, by choice, thank you, and I'm sorry. And if you've (laughs) listened to this by accident, I'm just sorry. (laughs) Someone is pranking you by forcing you to listen to this right now during a a long car ride. We we also apologize. If someone is uh, like kidnapped you and like they're torturing you by making you listen to this, <laughs> like I mean, they're good at torture, but they're a bad person. <laughs> but I mean, we have, you know, a momentous show because obviously we always stay with the Ring of Honor timeline, which means our show is the 100th of the show. Before we even get to that, though, I have a lot of notes from this uh, bef- between the last show and this show, and we'll see the kind of interesting shenanigans, Matt, that we get up to talking about these things. And as seems to be often the case or through the years, something that's in the news comes up pretty much immediately in my notes because our first story would be from the Pro Wrestling Torch. Uh, Wade writes, in Magistate for WWE Velocity at the April 12th SmackDown tapings, Orlando Jordan won a squash, and Vito beat Chris Guy, who is also known as Ring of Honor's Colt Cabana, Tatanka beat Nunzio, and Kid Cash and Jamie Nomal beat Funaki and Sky Tube Hottie. So that was one heck of a, like, a Ring of Honor crossover episode of, uh, Velocity. 
But Matt, I, I didn't notice this until I actually like then kind of did a little research afterwards. Uh, this is during a period where Colt Cabana does four different WWE TV jobs on like B shows and I think one on Raw in April alone. He does two more in June and then one in October. So even though he doesn't get signed to WWE, um, it's like for another another year probably, right? Yeah, I wonder if this was kind of like an early audition or something, or if it just synced up like that because that's a lot of uh different TV, you know. Yeah. To I mean, I mean clearly someone there liked him because they did sign him and not too much later than this. So, you know, I'm, you know, and I know that there's a process to getting signed. Um, so, yeah, I think that this was just a, a pretty clear sign they were starting to uh, take a shine to him. And uh, for those who are going, well, Chris Guy is not Colt Cabana's name. It's Scott Colton. Uh, CM Punk had taught us that recently. Uh, he really that's emphasized how, that's that. That's how I learned it. <laughs> so I'll go to the PW Torch in a different story they wrote. They pointed out when Colt Cabana used the name Chris Guy when he appeared on WWE television, it was an attempt to get back at his friend Ace Steele, who appeared on WWE television prior to Cabana's appearance under the name Scott Colton, which is Cabana's real name. So kind of cute. Um, and next we go to the Observer. Uh, th- this is kind of one of those quaint stories of oh how the times change. Uh, Dave wrote. To show how on the ball Ring of Honor is, they have already they already have March 30th and 31st booked for the Michigan State Fairgrounds in Detroit, the two days before WrestleMania. It wouldn't surprise you to see a TNA run a show on uh, March 31st in Detroit. This is a year away, but that could be where the TNA Ring of Honor split comes if it does. Ring of Honor also has uh, June 23rd, October 7th, and December 8th booked in Detroit. So yeah, like it's it's fine that this was like a big deal. Again, like reading the all doing all the research through the year, so to speak. Like I think this is one of the first times where this would become I think more commonplace now of the idea of a promotion being like, we're basically gonna book our shows on WrestleMania weekend a year in advance, where this was like a novelty, like, oh my god, like Ring of Honor's doing it a whole year in advance. But and I guess it's also a sign of just how successful that triple shot was, where they were like yeah, we're we are instantly doubling down, even though it's a different area. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for anybody, it was a no brainer after how well the the Chicago weekend went, and now it's going to be at you know Ford Field, and it's going to like have trust so many more people. I feel like, yeah, they would have been crazy not to try it again. It's also funny that Dave already was kind of advertising like, oh, this could be where the TNA split comes, and you know, it'll come when it comes, but. I mean, I guess that kind of shows, you know, that Ring of Honor and STNA was kind of growing at this point. Like, they were heading in different ways to, I guess, more of these kind of situations where they would brush up against each other were going to happen. You know, like the Unscripted 2 show, you know, where, you know, bigger companies start to run more shows. They start kind of thinking that wrestlers should devote more loyalty to them. More of these situations are going to come up, I guess. Uh, going to the PW Torch again. Uh, I just like this one line from Wade Keller. Jimmy Jacobs' new ring entrance is said to be hysterical, period. Um, like, it's just his song. <laughs> like, yeah, I, it's, mean, I mean, it's it's not, it's not, I don't find it particularly funny. I think it's a cool entrance. Yeah, it, it's a neat entrance. And I mean, maybe you could find some fun humor in like the first time you see got people do the uh, makeshift lighters using your cell phones, waving them in the air thing. But like, uh, like what I would call his entrance, it would be hysterical, but I thought that was a cute little weightism. And uh, moving on, there, of course, was a big CCW show between the last Ring of Honor show and this one. Uh, 
The Observer wrote, CZW on April 15th in Philadelphia did some stuff to continue the Ring of Honor versus CZW feud. Three Ring of Honor wrestling school students lost an elimination handicap match to Chris Hero, who gave Matt Turner, one of the Ring of Honor students, a muscle buster to get heat for Hero's upcoming match with Samoa Joe. What was billed as CZW versus Ring of Honor saw Super Dragon and Necro Butcher beat DJ Whitmer of Ring of Honor and Kevin Steen, who actually has worked more for CZW of late, but was billed as being part of the Ring of Honor team. Although we've talked about in past shows, like that was an angle kind of Kevin Steen was doing on his own at this time. Like he actually like asked permission, like, can I do this storyline where I would be like a heel in CZW because I'm busy like begging to go back to Ring of Honor. So it kind of works. Um then Dave continues, they had advertised Ruckus and Eddie Kingston and Joker and Sabian in the main event in an open challenge to Ring of Honor. There were no Ring of Honor guys there, and Zandig announced it as Ring of Honor no-showing and ended up with Larry Sweeney picking Toronto wrestlers Christopher Bishop and Lionel Knight to team with Nick Gage and Justice Payne in the Hate Club. They lost, and the Hate Club turned on the Canadians after the match. Matt, that sounds like the most CZW booking ever to like build a main event of like it's going to be an open Ring of Honor challenge, and then it's random team makeshift team and half the team turns on the other like that is very czw yeah now i now i find that interesting because i'm like you know i was not a big czw watcher so like you know i saw some stuff but so when you say it's very czw booking i sort of like makes me interesting because i'm not I, I don't think i'm not super familiar with what that necessarily means See, I kind of got a, a, a refresher like i i think just means it kind of bad slapdash like when i was I was looking today just before the show at uh, on Cage Match of different uh, CZW shows around this time to see how much Ring of Honor involvement there was in them. And I could just see in some of the Cage Match reviews being like, yeah, this show was completely ruined by like overbooking and turns and run-ins. And, you know, you kind of get used to Ring of Honor. You don't see that much of that. And I think CZW, depending on who was booking it, you definitely did get more of that flavor. Or in this case, again, like I think in Ring of Honor it would be pretty rare to just – Again, I have no idea how how ahead of time this was advertised, but it was advertised ahead of time at all. I'd be pretty annoyed as a fan if there was like a CZW Ring of Honor Open Challenge advertised, and that's what you got. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's what maybe Cornette should have just known more about CZW, and he would have done a better job picking it apart in his promo um, <laughs> by by just talking about how bad the booking was instead of uh, instead of all the other stuff that he said that wasn't necessarily true. And Matt, you perfectly see into my last note before we get to the show, although I have a lot of show-related notes for that. The Observer, Jim Cornette will be undergoing arthroscopic knee surgery on uh, May 9th in Louisville. He will be working the next few Ring of Honor shows, uh, like April 22nd in uh, Philadelphia, April 28th in Dayton, and April 29th in Cleveland until the surgery, but then won't be back for a few months live, nor make any indie dates. He got hurt in just 25 seconds or so of action on April 1st in Chicago during the Ring of Honor versus CCW Outsiders Brawl two weeks back. So, I mean, one thing about Cornette, I, I guess they said he actually did delay the surgery just to just so we can have the pleasure of talking to John Zantick, which we will get to later in the show. Oh, oh yes, we will. <laughs> and then that brings us to the show we are covering, the very special show, The 100th Show, which is what it was called. The 100th Show took place April 22nd, 2006, at the Pennsylvania National Guard Armory in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in front of a reported crowd of 1,000 fans. Uh, Meltzer would write in The Observer, the CZW Ring of Honor feud has continued to be one of the big surprises of the year because it's still going strong, partially because of the decision-making to have Ring of Honor's team go over on the CZW show and have the CZW 
team go over on the Ring of Honor show this time. A year ago, unless it was something special like a Japanese star on the show, Ring of Honor was struggling to sell 500 tickets in Philadelphia. Most estimates were this crowd consisted of 70% Ring of Honor fans who were in a shouting competition with the CZW fans. They set up the arena with the idea of it being like college basketball or football games where there was a CZW side and a Ring of Honor side. It made for interesting chants, as when the CZW side would chant CZW, the Ring of Honor fans would chant sucks. Very it interesting. C- Extremely interesting, Sharon. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, Dave really built that up. Um, it ended with CZW fans chanting USA and trying to come up with chants the Ring of Honor fans wouldn't make fun of. Gabe Sapolsky said the feud is working, as this was one of the biggest crowds Ring of Honor has ever drawn in Philadelphia, because both sides are putting their egos to the side and letting the other one win in the home arena. Um, yeah, so obviously we'll get into it throughout the show, but to me, if you ask like the defining characteristic of the show is not even a single match. It is just, I don't know if there's, I mean, there were other shows that kind of even in, in ring of honor during this feud that get, you know, arena warfare, death before dishonor, but like, I don't think I've ever seen a wrestling show that quite has this kind of atmosphere. I think arena warfare probably is what gave, gave the idea of doing this. Cause you had the CZW contingent in that crowd too. This was such a good idea. Like, like, I, I mean, had, had there ever been a wrestling show that had done anything like this before with the, the, like the s- separate fan factions of different promotions? Like I it just, uh-huh. it just came off so well. And I, you know, cause I was, I was at the show obviously. And like, it was just, it just, yeah, made the atmosphere so much cooler. You know, I mean, it wasn't always perfect. You know, there were some silly things about it, which we'll talk about as we watch the show. Um, but yeah, it was just like such a, such a good, clever idea. Yeah, the, I, I'm sure there are people like the, the really smart people, wrestling people, the Chris Zellers of the world could reel off a list of situations like this. But the only thing I could think of, isn't there I, like I bet you case? they couldn't because I don't think they Maybe. happened. <laughs> Yeah, may, maybe the only thing I, the only thing I could think could be even comparable is isn't there like hasn't there been times in history where like wrestling shows have maybe had like a little maybe not even their idea but like little makeshift sections for like the he- fans who cheered the heels back when that was more of a big deal. Like, I mean, like like but what I remember is like there would be like five to ten guys, you know? Yeah, like maybe you buy out half a row together and stuff like that. Maybe yeah. and yeah, that that would not be comparable to this, obviously. Yeah. This is like an but, intentional, like whole bleacher, and just as far as like what I remember, because this is this is one of two shows where they did this. This was the first one, and then the second one was Death Before Dishonor in uh, July, and it got bigger each time. Like this, they I, if I remember correctly, they didn't totally open up the full bleacher for the CZW section. Like it was still a lot of people, but it wasn't like the full packed bleacher that the ROH side was. And then by Death Before Dishonor, it was a fully open packed bleacher on both sides. So that will be even better as yeah, far as that I, goes. But this, but this was just, you know, so cool and interesting and it made a good visual. And yeah, I'm, I was just very impressed with how well thought out that plan was and how well it came together. Yeah. And it's a reminder, right? That like, uh, also it was really interesting how the ROH fan said sucks after they said CZW. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but, uh, no, and I think what's cool is, this show, I think, is probably my best example of people like when people you know, say like, oh, kayfabe is dead and you can't create real emotion, you know, when fans know wrestling is fake. Like I think in some ways, the more you know about wrestling, the harder it is to suspend your disbelief. But I think this is a perfect example of wrestling can be as real as anything else in the sense of the passion between a lot of those fans. You can tell watching the show is real because – 
yes, wrestling is fake, but you can still have rooting interests and passions that go against other people that are very real. You know, it's the weirdest thing about wrestling and being a wrestling fan, which is like you know it's fake, and yet you still care and get emotionally invested in who wins, even though it's like the decision of just like usually one person in the end it's you still care like and get it's it's weird how that works but it works like i don't think that the czw fans truly hated the roh wrestlers and i don't think the roh wrestlers truly hated the czw wrestlers for one they you know worked in each other's promotions at different times so but like they cared about who won because they liked representing the promotion that there was was their favorite like it's and they were able to you know they they were able to play a role too you know like there was a there's a little bit of acting going on from the fans as well and they get and they get into their own character of being like the passionate you know fan of their of their home team and yeah it's just it's just i, I would love to see somebody try something like this again but i i don't know if the environment of wrestling has changed too much in the past 16 years for it to ever be possible I, yeah, like, I mean, I mean, at the same time, I mean, you know, there are people like as far as like WWE and AEW that clearly, probably even more passionately support their side than these guys did. Yeah, like I was just going to say, it, it, you know, it, it would never happen, which is, I think, probably the the, the kind of too strong ver- promotions have real like kind of militant fan bases that that kind of thing you need. Usually, they don't work together, but like you absolutely could, I think, recreate this. You know, in a show, if you really wanted to be like, WWE's going to get their own pre-sale for their fans, their own half of the building, AEW fans are going to get there, and we're going to do a co-promoted show. Like, I think you could recreate this uh, this feeling. Yeah, if they, if WWE and AEW did it. Yes, they could. Um, but, but again, that, that's yeah. like saying, like, you know, the moon could be made of green cheese if the, if genies were real and we could make the wish. Like, right. yeah, it's it's not going to happen. So. And, and by the way, for, for the record, I, I – get the feeling you know and, and i remember thinking this at the time but like i have a feeling like the czw contingent disliked roh more than the roh contingent contingent disliked czw like i think there was some reason to resent roh in the sense that it got all the buzz you know it was considered the prestige promotion got all the attention in the newsletters got all like the awards at the end and czw was sort of like forgotten by a lot of the the mainstream so I could definitely see there being some real resentment on one side. I don't really feel like there was a lot of like true – I mean maybe I'm wrong, but like I don't feel like there was a lot of true hatred of CZW from the ROH fans. Yeah. Um, so going to the report, actually the next note is they sign that dovetails with something you also just recently said uh, talking about the show. Uh, this is from a PW Torch Live report from someone named Mike Kingston. He wrote, the floor seats were all floor. The Ring of Honor – bleachers were filled but there was a little room in the czw side but not much so i guess that kind of goes to what you were saying that like the next show like there's room for this to grow obviously yep even though i think this was like one of the best reactions and then mike johnson from pw insider added who was at the show it was their best crowd in philadelphia since 2003 with their advanced ticket sales record being shattered as well with over 650 tickets sold so it's kind of interesting to hear that was like their advance you know, record being shattered. You know, I, I wonder how much in general the t- Ring of Honor ticket sales were walk up versus pre sold. But you know, for, of a thousand tickets having over six fifty sold, apparently that was shattering a pre sale record. Um, 
and this is was something we've also talked before. I know I just wanted to make sure to remind people because I think it's a neat trivia bit. But this was, you know, a few, sh- you know, me- weeks or months earlier before Loki lost his mind and the CZW feud really picked up. This was a show where they were going to main event with Christopher Daniels versus Loki versus Brian Daniels in a rematch from the main event of the first Ring of Honor show. And obviously, to this day, we have never gotten that rematch. So it's crazy to think what would have been. I wonder if you could have. I mean, Daniels plays a part in the festivities tonight, but otherwise, I, I, there is probably a world where the two, those matches could coexist, right? Where you could you could still do the CZW main event you had tonight, but also have that three-way. And we tried. We tried to get Tony Khan to do that match. And we did. It's so far not done. I will just tell you this, Trevor. If Tony Khan brings in Loki to job to Chris Jericho but still doesn't do that, <laughs> that three-way with Danielson and Daniels, I'm going to be pissed. I was seriously thinking that too. Like when Cole Cabano came out, like everyone else was like, Oh my God, this is such a crazy thing. All oh, the implications. And I was kind of like, you're you son of a bitch. You're lucky. That wasn't Loki. I would be yeah. so angry at you. Yeah. I'll give, um, I'll give him a real tisk tisk if, if that happens. <laughs> That's really all I'll do, but still I don't like it. So Matt, <laughs> so Matt um, my memory is always awful. So I don't, I don't remember this at all. I'm wondering since you were at the show, do you remember this? There, there is something else that was supposed to happen at the show that didn't. I'll go to the PW Torch for the first kind of report on this. West Coast and PWG standout Davey Richards was scheduled to debut on Ring of Honor on Saturday, April 22nd in Philadelphia. However, he injured his knee the previous night in Statesville, North Carolina, wrestling against Canadian Cougar for the Carolina Wrestling Association. The injury prevented him from working Ring of Honor the following night. Davey had knee surgery, and he's expected to be out at least one month. His Ring of Honor debut has been pushed back to June 3rd in Connecticut, which I'll note, he does make it to there. That does become his Ring of Honor debut debut and then another interesting little wrinkle before i ask you matt mike johnson then added in his notes he added this ecwa super 8 2006 champion davy richards will not be making tonight's event as he suffered in ring of honor as he suffered a knee injury last night working in north carolina there was a major storyline planned for him tonight which will have to be shelved yeah i I thought that was interesting i do remember that he was supposed to debut here i don't remember if they announced anything for him to do or if it was just that he was going to appear and, uh, yeah, I don't think that he ended up getting a major storyline when he did show up. He just ended up feuding with Jimmy Ray for a little while. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, I don't think you would consider that a, like, no offense to Jimmy Ray, like a major storyline, kind of like a, a standard feud with a mid-card guy. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a good, it was a fun yeah. little feud, which we'll get to, but yeah, no, it wasn't a big storyline. I wonder if there's something on this show he could have been slotted into. Like, probably, I mean, obviously not the Claudio handshake thing, because that's kind of Claudio was built for that. Like, look at this card. I think there was a match. I forget. I, I should have had that in my notes. I think there was a match he might have been booked for. I forget. But like, yeah, it, it, it's weird to. You know what? It could have been the Danielson. Maybe the he, Danielson yeah, match. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I bet you that's yeah. what it was. I bet you he was supposed to get Delirious' spot. It makes it makes a lot of sense. I, and I and I bet you if it, if he did, he wouldn't end up bloodied like Delirious was. <laughs> Because I think actually the match might have been like either a singles match with Delirious or like in that four-way Delirious is in. So again, we have no insider news, but just looking at the results and what happened, I bet you when we talk about it later, when you see the Delirious-Brian Danielson match later, I bet you, I would bet you dollars to donuts, Matt, that would be uh, the major angle for Davey Richards. But next, another little thing. Uh, 
the PW Torch talked to Gabe, and I thought there was a cute quote in here, uh, a cute mental image. So the Torch wrote, Ring of Honor booker Gabe Sapolsky tells PW Torch that running their 100th show was very important to him, to he and Homicide personally. Quote, the 100th show was really something very special for all of us, especially the guys that were around since day one, he says. Homicide, who was on our very first show, and I had a long conversation about what the show meant to us on Saturday. It was great that we had more than double the number of people we had on our first show, too. I want to thank the fans for getting us to this point. Sapolsky believes the reputation of the CZW invaders, along with the Ring of Honor video recaps available at rohvideos.com, have made the Ring of Honor versus CZW feud popular outside of Philadelphia. Quote, they, the CZW invaders, all have big reputations, so that definitely helps, he says. I also think the ringofhonorvideos.com website helps a great deal, too, as fans are able to see what happens a few days after a show instead of having to wait a few months for the DVD. I can only imagine how much hotter the CM Punk as world champion thing would have been last year if we had rohvideos.com to keep the people up to date. By the time the Punk title ring was over, people were just seeing the match where he won the belt. rohvideos.com has really taken us to the next level i'm kind of using my snarky voice there but like he does have a point i just think that part is funny matt because that is such a classic gabe thing which is whatever the big new thing that's going on in his promotion at the time like gabe is the master of steering every single media interview about any topic to that thing like at this point everything is about rhvideos.com it feels like which is a good promotional move by him to do that but um no but i do think he's at least partially right. I, you know, I thought he was going to say that the CM Punk thing would have been so much bigger if we could like live stream our shows, which <laughs> you know is the real truth. But you know, I'm I, I'm sure that like having some of those videos was helpful. Maybe not as much as he's claiming, though. Yeah, I, I just it reminds me of like when I was a, teen, a snotty teenager and like my mom wanted me to do something like clean my room. Like anything I'd ask for, she'd be like, you know what would help with that? If you clean your room. Like I could have broken my leg and be like, I need to go to hospital. You know, you know what helps a broken leg is if you clean your room. And like, it just reminds you like, that's very much the gay strategy of, you know, what's really helped. You know, that's a great question. You know what that reminds me of? RHvideos.com. But maybe I, I should, maybe I should do it on this show, but instead of that, I should be like talking to our American listeners and talk about how they need to vote. This week, if you're listening when we record this, because it is a major election in the U.S. Absolutely, Matt. But again, the, and also I wanted to say that little cute thing I thought I talked about. I thought it's really nice to think of like Gabe and Homicide having a conversation like the day of the show before starts being like, look at us, man, doing the old Pud, Paul Rudd meme. Like, look where we are, man. Look where we've come. Like, I think that's really that's a really cute combination to think about having that conversation. Yeah. And. Yeah, moving on, uh, just a few, couple more notes. Uh, Mike Johnson wrote, among those visiting the show were Monster Mac, Deranged, and Jamie, Sa- Jamie Samuels. I actually had to look up who Jamie Samuels was. That would be a former periphery uh, Special K member lit. So okay. all the stars coming out for this show. <laughs> Monster Mac is like on the show sometimes, so that doesn't seem like so noteworthy that he was there. <laughs> um, then, the, then Matt, we close our notes with a twofer. One of my favorite old themes coming back. Uh, longtime listeners will know one of my favorite moments in recent years on Through the Years is the story of when Bill Watts came to do a show, seemed on a scale, as I, I think I described, on a scale of 1 to 10, he was at a 2 in enthusiasm, and as we discovered reading the notes, um, his cell phone rang during the promo, and it ended up 
So uh, this is the sequel, Matt. It's not nearly as good, but I still got a chuckle out of it. P.W. Torch, it's a two-parter. The P.W. Torch wrote, Bill Watts will appear on the April 22nd event in Philadelphia to sign his autobiography and film a shoot interview. Not a shit Well, it might have been a shit interview with Jim Cornette. And then here comes the punchline. Mike Johnson wrote, Bill Watts was there signing free autographs before the show, but in a move that had head scratching, there was no sign of his autobiography anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love Bill Watts seems to like like to barely give a fuck about things centered around him even. Like yeah. he just can't be bothered. You know, I read that autobiography because Meltzer really hyped it up. And you know, it's I remember it being kind of weird. <laughs> The cowboy and the cross, like, isn't it a lot just about kind of like you, you come for the wrestling, but you kind of get stuck with a lot of Jesus, a lot of Jesus stuff. And like a lot of self, like if I, I, I mean, I don't even know I should say this, but like feels like self loathing homophobia because of <laughs> things that happened in his life. Like yeah, th- that was the era of like weird introspection, which I kind of miss. Like that was also the story, like when the Ric Flair autobiography came out, and people's like big takeaway, w- apart from like him shitting on Bret Hart and Mick Foley, was like, man, like Ric Flair has confidence issues. <laughs> like, oh yeah, just, like, oh yeah, that was like, definitely that was, def- that was definitely the big takeaway for that book for sure. Yeah, like like people were just shocked, like that, like uh, surprised that like, you would make it such a point to really be like, yeah, I uh, I have constantly doubted myself, like every few years. Um, you know, when you mentioned the cell phone going off, I recently tweeted um, asking if anybody could think of a time when a wrestler sneezed during a promo and nobody <laughs> responded in any way whatsoever. So that shows how well that tweet went over. Can you – I mean somebody has to have sneezed during a promo, right? Yeah, and, and you know that would have happened in Ring of Honor though. They wouldn't have done a take two. We would have seen yeah. it. So it can't be Ring of Honor. It has to be somewhere else. But, but a lot of sneezes – a lot of promos are live. So there has to be a sneeze caught on camera. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe not in WWE because Vince McMahon's legendary for his hatred of sneezes. Maybe I know that's that makes it even more interesting of a question. <laughs> so that brings us to the show proper. Except, of course, even then we have three dark matches and some interesting couple things from the dark matches. Not too interesting, but uh, there were three dark matches. Um, though obviously we do not get to see Matt. The first one was Apocalypse. Defeating Rhett Titus. Matt, do you remember who Apocalypse ended up becoming? We will see him on proper Ring of Honor shows later this year. One of the members of the Ascension. Yes, he would become Victor yeah. of the Ascension. And I remember Apocalypse so, very well. He was on a bunch of those uh, a bunch of those pre-shows and a couple of, like you said, main shows too. Like he gets a match with Samoa Joe, I believe. Yep. You know, so. At, at what I recall being a terrible show, but yes, he does get a match with Samoa Joe. Then we get a dark six-man mayhem match, which was all students. It was Pele Primo defeating Bobby Dempsey, Matt Turner, Mitch Franklin, Shane Hagedorn, Smash Bradley. And then in your um, your pre-show main event, you had Greg Matthews and Rockin' Rebel defeat Judas Gray and Mike Brown. Something we, we haven't had a Rockin' Rebel pre-show match in a long time. Something we've mentioned in the past, if you don't know. Uh, I think Rock and Rebel had a Philadelphia, pimp, I mean, uh, Pennsylvania promoter's license, and due to weird state laws, it was hard to get a new promoter's license. So you kind of needed to have the get permission to use somebody else's. And Rock and Rebel would one of the conditions Rock and Rebel would give to use his promoter's license was to give him a pre-show match or a kind of dark match of some form. And if you want to be really depressed and uh, creeped out, uh, Google Rock and Rebel and see what he's been up to in recent years. Um, 
So we start on that note. We start the show finally, Matt. Um, we start with the conclusion to our latest cliffhanger. I guess our last cliffhanger, since this is the end of the milestone series of shows. Another thing we should point out, uh, you know, that big set of shows. The, this is the final one. Um, we, uh, Brian Danielson is signing a mysterious contract at the Ring of Honor Wrestling School next to Kerry Silkin. Kerry announces that the contract is to make Danielson the official new train, new head trainer of the ROA Wrestling School. Austin Aries walks in this point shakes both guys' hands, hands them the literal keys to the school, and pieces out in a cameo mat that is so quick and so kind of casual, it made me chuckle. It, it had the energy of him, like, stepping down as the head of a school, and, and but instead it was like him just returning a DVD he had borrowed from a friend, like, just, hey, see ya, goodbye. <laughs> just like, why do you even have to be on camera? But um, Danielson then tells Carrie he's been champion for over six months, and now that he's the head trainer, so he basically thinks he owns this place now, and he calls the shots now, and Carrie looks on disapprovingly, Matt. He is yeah, I just th- concerned. I thought that was a little bit of a weird promo, but then I guess it does play into what he, he says later in his promo, so I guess at that point it was uh, it was good, decent foreshadowing for the angle later in the night. And uh, one note about Aries, the PW Torch wrote this. Austin Aries has not fully recovered from his knee injury at the February TNA pay-per-view. He is still wearing a knee brace. Aries recently stepped down as head trader for the Ring of Honor School to take more international bookings. He previously previously passed up these opportunities due to Ring of Honor and TNA commitments. Aries will be wrestling for the 1PW promotion in the UK at the end of May. TNA has not given any indication of bringing Aries back after the suspension in February. Aries was signed to a one-year deal with 10 guaranteed dates in Orlando. Aries has already worked the guaranteed dates, which means TNA is not contractually obligated to bring him back. So, yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. One, that that was the reason Aries stepped down was like, just I want to do more, more international stuff. Although some of the guys did work around it, but I guess that would be kind of the bummer of being the teachers at that point. You, you can't be like a Matt Seidel, Jack Evans, and leave for months when you run the school. And also, I think that kind of makes his some. I think Aries, you know, his performance haven't been like, oh my god, steal the shows because they've been really good shows. But he's been consistently good, and it's kind of it's easy to forget he actually did have what sounded like a fairly significant knee into that it lingered for months knee injury that he worked through like he didn't miss a show he just kept going like as far as being a wrestler and having an injury and the knee seems like one of the pretty one of the worst ones to have so yeah he did he did a good job and uh then we go to colt cabana but backstage now clean shaven once again the homicide feud is over he can finally find a razor for well, a different reason that he would find a razor in the last few matches of his. Um, Ooh, Colt one. said he was finally able to earn Homicide's respect and gain peace after their match at the last show. Colt says he is now feeling fantastic and the momentum's on his side, which means he's coming after Brian Danielson's world title tonight. Colt is super happy. He says he feels like a million bucks. Matt, this definitely isn't foreshadowing any th- surprisingly quick loss on, or anything on his <laughs> part tonight. Yeah, he definitely made a big show about how the old Colt is back and like he's being – you know, uh, gregarious again, but, uh, you know, I'm sure that'll go fine. Again, the old cult is back. The old, that old reoccurring theme that's happening as we record, that happened just days before the show, but, um, no, that's just cult we, being back, but not the old cult. <laughs> well, technically he's kind of old now, but, uh, <laughs> in, in the same old. way, in the same way that we are, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm saying, Matt. That's, it's a rapidly, uh, rapidly approaching a uh, road sign, but we go somewhere else stage where uh because Lacey is a woman and this is mid-aughts ring of honor we start with a camera shot that traces up over her legs long and lingeringly um 
Lacey says she isn't going to be in Jimmy Jacobs' corner tonight because he hasn't been proving himself lately. She ne- she says he needs to start winning before she goes in her corner again. Um, she does say she has a little incentive for him. We see that she's wearing just the Ring of Honor t-shirt, and she says there's no telling what's underneath it. Like I can have a few guesses, Matt, like probably her. Um, she says if Jimmy wins tonight, she might give him the chance to find out. But then instead, of, she, she quickly goes from just maybe to pretty full-fledged because then she immediately says Jimmy is the same as all those internet nerds dreaming and fantasizing about her. And if Jimmy wins today, she'll take her shirt off on ROHvideos.com. So. This, this whole thing, this whole thing came off as pretty like 1996 CZ. I mean ECW, but I, uh, I guess they do sort of go in a different direction with it. So I'll I'll give it to them. I'll give them the credit for it. But like when you first watch this promo, it's like, oh, this feels like something from the 90s more than something from 2006. As bad as 2006 was. <laughs> Yeah, like it's also weird because I mean, I you know these two things can go together, but Ring of Honor often tried to present it as like you know our fans are very mature. They like they like the finer kinds of wrestling. Sophisticated. Yeah, yeah, and you know they police themselves as Gabe often like to say and all that stuff. The idea that they're also horn dogs that like can't wait to see her take her shirt off. You know, you know they're both things. Um, I think they actually aren't both things. I think they are just uh, they are just the the latter. Matt, you were among them. You judgmental Matt Worsley, bad boy. Um, that brings us to opening match. Christopher Daniels scored to the ring by Allison Danger, defeated Claudio Castanoli via pinfall in 15 minutes, 56 seconds with a rolling cradle. So obviously there's a post-match thing that big implications for this show. But Matt, what do you think about this match? I think this might have been a first-timer, at least a ring of honor between these two. That is what they say. They said it was a first-timer. Um but um, yeah, so this is a, a you know fairly memorable match. I um, you know the the CZW crowd gets makes themselves known like right away because they start chanting "You sold out" at Claudio, and like you know as he's presenting in this match, they do have a point. <laughs> you know, like he's he was CZW tag team champions. He's best friends with Chris Hero, and all of a sudden he's like beating up Chris Hero and stuff, and and kind of um, rejecting his offers. So in in a sense, it is kind of selling out, right? Um, yeah, and he comes out uh, in this massive show, War Between the Two Shows, for those who haven't seen it, with, like, a special-made jacket with, like, sequins, like, written, writing out ROH on the back of it, which, again, not telegraphing things, not leaning too far into one direction at all here, but, uh... Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I saw it coming, I don't remember, but, like, if I didn't, I should have, right? (laughs) But, um... But, yeah, uh... It's the 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 funny thing. Um, by the way, I just I know is about the match, but I do want to mention one thing about all the promos before uh, before the match. Um, did you notice that none of the beginning of the show promos had anything to do with like the huge main event or big angle that's on the show? Like they didn't have any promos about. I mean, they will after this match, but like it's weird to start the show with promos for like mid card matches and not even mention the big. ROH for CZW main event. I always thought that was a little bit weird about ROH DVDs. It's like you would think like the, the you know up top you want to hype the big match, and they do sometimes, but a lot of times they just don't. It, like, they just have like random promos. Um, I, th- I feel I, like Gabe Bala, he would use the promos more as storytelling than hype. Like he wouldn't think of them as oh these are things that will build interest. Like you look at these promos, all right? Like the Colt one, that's to plant the seed for the angle later in the night. You and to kind of explain his character changing back. You look at the lazy one, that's to try and build like a stipulation for a match later tonight. Like he usually doesn't do promos that are just about 
here's why you should be excited for tonight's match, I, I, I yeah. find in general. True. And the times that he does do it, I think it can work out pretty well. Like, I know they do it on the, the Cage of Death show. But but anyway, as far as the match, um, you know, Gabe pops it on commentary a bunch of times throughout the night, I guess, you know, just to celebrate that it's the 100th <clears throat> show. You know, which it's just funny to me because they made a big thing a few like months earlier about how Jimmy Bauer was fired for being a drunk. And now he's just like, <laughs> he's just back all the time. You know, and like, like, has as the representative of the company, like talking about how Allison Danger, who's in Daniel's corner here, was only supposed to be on the first show as a one shot deal, but she became a big part of ROH. And I remember thinking, like, when he said this, like, how would Jimmy Bauer have known that? <laughs> but <laughs> you weren't even part of the company then, Jimmy. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but anyway, for the match, um, you know, it's, they, they kind of start out like stalemate style. They they do some reversals, throw in some submissions. Um, and I think Claudio might have broken the record for delayed vertical suplex that Roderick Strong set the month earlier. Um, like, it wasn't like a, a full minute long vertical suplex. The crowd it was at went least a minute, I think, yeah. Yeah, and the, the CZW crowd chants, uh, you still suck at Claudio. And Leonard actually has a good line. He says the CZW crowd was booing because they can't count that high, which I think yeah, is, I really like that. Yeah, it's a good line. Um, meanwhile, as far as to Daniels, they like to chant TNA at him, um, which I guess is you know works okay. I mean, it was a super interesting chant, as as Dave Meltzer said. <laughs> um, but like, as far as the match, like you know they you know uh, they go back and forth. Daniels hits a Death Valley driver. He hits a Best moonsault ever. Claudio hits a low drop kick and then grabs a, a horse collar submission. Then Daniels fights to the bottom rope. Daniels misses an Enzigiri and gets a very sudden roll up and wins the, wins the match. So they never really go into like that last gear to make this a great match. Like it's it's definitely like first and second gear and that's about it. Um, you know you and you'd like it to get a little bit more intense than that for a, a, a longish match, but I enjoyed a lot of it. Um, I just I don't think it ever got to the point where it could have. So I would just call this match like good, but not particularly great. Um and I think that you know, well I mean you'll get to this after the match, but Daniels makes a big deal out of Claudio as like this is the match where I'm going to finally shake someone's hand. But I feel like it should have been more dramatic of a match if you're going to finally make that move. And they didn't really try to make it that dramatic of a match. I thought that was a little bit odd. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I like this match less than you. To be honest, I thought this was kind of boring. Like, technically, it was it was sm- solid, but I would say this was like average at best. I, I thought this was the kind of match that kind of gives me a more mixed overall view of Christopher Daniels. Like, I, I think he could be in great matches. We've we've reviewed a lot of them. He's one of the absolute smoothest, polished, like safest hand professionals of his generation. But he also has more than a couple matches like this where it's just incredibly basic, somewhat slow. Like you said, it doesn't really get out of like second gear at best. It does get a little more exciting in the final few minutes when um Claudio really gets to uncork some of his offense. But like, like you were saying, I don't think it really even hits that final big gear even then. Um, and I – yeah, we'll get to it with the storyline, but I completely um agree with you about the other part too. I, thought yeah, the most- yeah, I would say with Daniels, like – I feel like I've enjoyed him on his like return ROH run more than I remembered, but like yeah, this match is more of like what I remembered. Yeah, same here. Um, 
but yeah, the most notable part of this match was our first chance to really hear like the really warring crowd, which will be just constantly fighting back and forth throughout the show, apart from maybe like one entire match and maybe bits of a couple other matches. Um, we get, you know, the chanting, you know, you know, the use of out. we get a chant, we get a dueling, we want hero, shut the fuck up, chant. Um, all of that. Uh, the other thing Gabe mentioned on the commentary, which he's mentioned a few times, I thought this was interesting because he really put more of a finer point on. He said, um, there were several times throughout every single year of Ring of Honor that they didn't think they'd make it to show 100. So it's interesting, again, that we always point out, so often through the years, uh, yeah, keeps coming up, but like they would talk about, you know, they would leak to the things, you know, Ray Vars doing great. We're always breaking even at least. And then Gabe here's just saying like, yeah, there was multiple times every single year we didn't think we'd make it. So, which pr- probably is a lot more realistic picture of the situation they, they were in. But, um, yeah. So after the match, we get to the real memorable part of this. Uh, Christopher Daniels says he gets on the mic. He says they've come a long way from the Murphy Rec Center. Uh, Daniels says that recent shows have been called the Milestone Series. So tonight he's going to create a milestone of his own. He walks to Claudio and he just outright shakes Claudio's hand. That is uh, finally on the 100th show, the first handshake Daniels has ever given in Ring of Honor. Daniels points out, he says, I didn't shake Claudio's hand because I was told to. I shook his hand because I respect him and I respect this company and I know the future of this company when I see it. Um, Daniels thanks the fans for making Ring of Honor what it is today. Eventually, Daniels leaves. We get a big Claudio chant. Uh, Chris Hero comes out with a mic, and he says he couldn't be happier. He says all the destruction of Miami's cause brings a smile to his face. Uh, Hero walks over to the Ring of Honor section of the, the, the Ring of Honor bleacher section, and as they chant, fuck you, Hero at him, he says these fans are the reason he hates ROH. This place makes him sick, disrespectful, arrogant, know-it-all, smart, marks. Uh, Hero says he's been through hell and back to get where he is today. He's been hit with chairs, betrayed by his friend. Uh, at this point, Claudio's leading a huge ROH chant. And I really want to give a shout to the rare for Ring of Honor, really unique, cool camera shot. Not that the Ring of Honor camera people are bad, but they don't get a lot of, you know, time or resources to do flourishes. And this worked out great here where um, the camera's following Hero as he walks around the crowd. And when he starts talking about how Claudio betrayed him, it's just as he gets to that point in the promo, he is f- moved from the Ring of Honor bleachers to basically standing directly in front of the ring, like with Claudio way in the background in the ring, just perfectly framed. It's really nice. And then Hero keeps walking to the CZW section of the crowd with the camera following him. And they're now just cheering him, you know, huge. He stands along the, among them in the bleachers, and we see that the CZW bleacher, the, the, the Ring of Honor section, the CZW bleacher section is, has a Ring of Honor sign over it with CZW painted over it, which I probably imagine is the sign they spray painted over in the uh, Arena Warfare angle in the main event of that show. Yes, I probably yeah, didn't, yes. Yeah, they just saved it. Um, anyway, uh, Heroes, you know, the CZW section of fans chant for CZW, the Ring of Honor section chants for Ring of Honor. Hero gets the CZW fans to chant for him again, and then Hero walks his way as the Ring of Honor fans chant, Joe's going to kill you. So clearly, you know, that's what the, that's the confrontation they wanted. Matt, I, we can talk about the Daniels thing too, but first I'll just say I thought the Hero thing was a really cool segment. I thought that was yeah, just yeah. a re- really cool way to show off. Great, and also just a great promo. Yeah. Yeah, just a, just a great way to show off 
the unique atmosphere, how, you know, heroes literally walking and where he's walking is changing the reaction to him. That That's such a cool thing. Well, well also, and, yeah, so and what makes it cool is, like, you know, they don't have a super advanced audio at these ROH shows. Like, you know, when people talk about, like, miking the crowd, I'm always like, uh, I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> like, the, it feels like they, they get the, the audio gets picked up by the cameras. And, yeah. And I was so you, like... It, the sound is just extremely different when you move from one side of the arena to the other with the camera because you're hearing an entirely different section. You know, it's actually a good demonstration of like how the section that you're in at a show really um, clouds your judgment of what the way the crowd was at that show. That's a really good point because, yeah, how many times do you see in live reports? Like I know sometimes when I'll talk about a show live, like like on Twitter, I'll get people like tweeting at me from the show and I'll be like – they'll be like, oh, it's really loud. Like I don't know what you're saying. That's not – it's quiet or they'll, or I'll get – and on the occasion, I'll get from the same show. People go, yeah, it's really quiet here. Like you, like you said, it just depends sometimes where you sit, the acoustics, all of that. Um, the Daniels angle. So yeah, going to what you said, I think you made – you. Nailed it. Um, I thought this is a good say- setup, obviously, for what we're going to see in the main event. It's pretty telegraphed in the classic Ring of Honor lean so far in one direction. You kind of tip off that things are about to go the exact opposite way. But then, you know, you were watching the shows at the time. So was I. And you didn't see it. And we occasionally talked at that time. So we, I probably didn't see it either, you know. And obviously, the shows weren't coming out that frequently. So maybe maybe I'm overthinking this just because we've seen that kind of trope so often now, rewatching the shows. Um, but on the other hand, there's been a few shows building up the idea of who Daniels would shake hands with first. You know, he teased it with low-key, teased it with things. And on this night, to your point, I don't think it felt very particularly special. Yeah, or or, or earned. Was, exactly. It was a very meh match that Claudio lost clean. I, Claudio's still over at his mid-card act, though he wasn't exactly – like he didn't feel at this moment as Hawsey was even just a couple months earlier. You know, yeah, it wasn't a really great match or like you said, a match that pushed – Daniels even to the limit like it would have made more sense if this was a really all-out match or if Claudio had won you know exactly and it's not like it's because the match wasn't that good because like yes not every match turns out the way you want it's that they didn't even try to have a great match and you would think if like the when Daniels finally shakes the hand of a guy he beats it should be because the guy gave him like the fight of his life or at least they make it out to be something like that but that wasn't even really attempted here and the other thing that I find interesting, which, you know, maybe I should save this one for later, but since I'm already talking about it, um, since the turn with Claudio does happen after Daniels gave him that respect and shook his hands, you would think that would lead to more of like a feud between Daniels and Claudio, like being like, hey, yeah. you, like, you took my, uh, you know, my endorsement and you, you squandered it. And that's that, you know, they really don't go back to it much, if at all. I don't remember if they might, I mean, they might at some point, but I don't, it certainly was not a big thing if they did. And that would have been one reason that it still wouldn't have, I don't think would have been good, that it would have made sense if they were planning on doing future matches to maybe not go out on this match. Because I know a lot of wrestlers at the, of this era, particularly, I heard like out interviews at the time from guys like CM Punk talk about like, if you wrestle a guy, you know you're going to wrestle them a bunch. You don't do everything you can do in the first match because you know you're going to have to top it. So if they had known like, oh, we're going to wrestle each other like another three times in the next few months, I could see maybe you take a step, take it a step down, but yeah, like you said, we we don't really get that at all. So, and, and like uh, this show would have been a good show to do because if they had really gone out there and like tried to have a balls to the wall match, the crowd would have gone nuts for it because this was a hot crowd. Y- yeah, yeah, absolutely, especially the opener, like the official opener. 
But Matt, we got a special treat because we've been seeing the same rankings for so long. Hot, fresh, popping out of the piping hot out of the oven. That new top five rankings: uh, five Roderick Strong, four somehow inexplicably Jimmy Yang, <laughs> three Samoa Joe, two Christopher Daniels, one Colt Cabana for winning one match in like the last six months. So uh, fantastic! Uh, and does Dan- Daniel still doesn't get a title shot anytime soon? Does he? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, boy. Um, that brings us to the four-corner survival match. Delirious defeated Jimmy Jacobs, Jimmy Rave, who was scored to the ring by Daisy Hayes and Prince Nana, and Jimmy Yang, who was again escorted to the ring by Bruce Leroy. Uh, Delirious wins in 13 minutes, two seconds, when he makes Jacobs tap out to the Cobra stretch. I call this, I this-, I call this Jimmy Fest 2006. <laughs> um I thought this match was also average. I thought it was pretty – it was fine but kind of low action by Ring of Honor multi-man standards. I thought the draw in this match was far more the characters than the wrestling. Like you got Jimmy being in love with – since since Lacey was not on the show, Jimmy brings like this giant printout like poster picture of Lacey that he brings to with him to the ring and loves on. And uh, so that was kind of his character thing. We'll get into a second some of the stuff about that. Delirious, of course being delirious his that character is the draw of him right now ray being the cowardly opti- optimist opportunistic heel and jimmy yang just well he humps a picture of lacy that's his character contribution to uh this the show um yang seemed to wrestle i thought matt this this entire match apart from a couple minutes and it looked like his nose exploded at one point which is crazy it's this is the third straight show we've watched where someone's nose has just exploded i don't know if this was a yeah, it really was three in a row it's crazy yeah, because it was Matt Seidel two shows ago, Austin Aries last show, and now it's Yang this show. And I don't know if he broke it outright like the other two, but definitely bleeding from it. Um, it's like the final destination, but with nose blood. Uh, Daniel Delirious came in mostly at the end to run wild. He got the win. He's, which I guess signals, you know, another sign that the Delirious push really had become. He's, you know, not just in the Midwest. He's winning another match after he just won his first singles one. Uh, Bruce Leroy's big return was, uh, stopping Daisy Hayes from interfering at one point and chasing Prince Nana to the back. So, uh, an easy night for Bruce Leroy. But again, the, the biggest focus on this match was on someone who wasn't even here. That's Lacey. Gabe kept interjecting. He did his Jerry Lawler bit about how much he wanted to see her get naked, which in turn got Prezak and Leonard to spend a lot of time focusing on it. And it all leads to Jacob seemingly he has the win late in the match after hitting the contra code on Yang. Only at the last second, he kind of backs away. He realizes it's like, oh, he realizes, oh, if I win here, everyone's going to see Lacey naked on rhvideos.com. And I don't want that. And... I don't this ma- I think this match was unwatchable, but again, it's very weird for Ring of Honor. This feels more like a WWT match where it's all about the characters and this angle and this kind of wacky stipulation. And I should also note this is yet another loss for Jimmy Yang, who gets the world title shot on the next show. Matt. Um, a couple of notes I want quick before I give it to you because I want to re- like this is one of the things that really made me laugh during the show. Okay, a couple of notes quick first. Jimmy is announced as representing Lacey's Angels when he comes to the ring. What other Lacey's Angel is there at this point, Matt? Lacey. <laughs> but she's <laughs> she's her own angel. Don't you know? Um, Gabe on like you mentioned earlier, he barges in a bunch on commentary. He barges in here to say, "Lacey, if Lacey taking off her T-shirt, he says that stip is the biggest in Ring of Honor history." He says, "I can't wait to see Lacey's boobs." Um. 
then um, when Yang humps plays his pitcher, Jacobs just gets really pissed off. Again, that they're building up that idea that like Jacobs is like this kind of lovable goof in some ways, although also kind of creepy. But if you mess with her, he gets really vicious. Um, after Jimmy blows a kiss to the picture of Lacey, Prezak jokingly asks Lenny Leonard on commentary, how many kisses he's blown to pictures, which I think is a really weird question. Um, Lenny says zero. Gabe then says he'll be blowing picture- kisses to Lacey's video if uh, Jimmy wins this match, and he might also be blowing something else. Just- can't imagine what that means. Can't, can't imagine. <laughs> And then Gabe says at this point, he might even do a run-in to win the match. I, just, it's like it's, I felt so bad. It's so stupid. <laughs> it didn't make me laugh. It's so fucking stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry. And then Matt, it gets, this is, Matt, I'm building to the main event. So these are the last two notes I have. Um, this is one of the weirdest commentary lines I've ever heard. Um, at one point, Dave Prasak, I actually had to write this down. Like, um, J- Jimmy does a big kick out and J- Prasak, like in a serious, like, I'm like really excited for this match voice. Dave Prasak says, and I know, and I quote, Jacob's wanting to do that picture proud and see some other stuff. <laughs> like, and then finally, uh, Meltzer had to write this in the Observer. Like Dave Meltzer, the most respected journalist in wrestling, he had to write this word for word in the Observer. Quote: Jacobs got off Yang and refused to beat him because he's supposedly so in love with Lacey he can't bear the thought of guys seeing her boobs. Like he had to write that. <laughs> he had to write that in the Observer. Trevor, so uh, Trevor, I'm enjoying your joy, but it is wrestling. That's not even close to the stupidest thing he's ever had to write. I know, but it's so fucking stupid. It's so stupid. Anyway, Matt, what do you think about that? Well, I like it a lot more now that you are so happy with it. Um, I, 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 yeah, like, okay, so I kind of agree with you about the match. Like, I don't think it was particularly good. I thought it was, you know, fine, I guess, but. I guess I enjoyed the 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 character stuff more than you do like especially near the end like I do think that if you're going to do an angle where like Lacey's going to get naked if 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 Jimmy wins I do think it's a good twist for him to be at the end like wait no I don't want that and then like not choosing not to win um but like the commentary was so regressive and stupid it was like uh, on the one hand I'm like sort of like, oh, this is refreshing. It's like the old days of Through the Years when we really could just, like, laugh about the commentary <laughs> all the time. Like, Mark Nolte would have been proud. Um, but on the other hand, we criticized that commentary back then because it was, like, bad and messed up. And this was also – like, I guess in a sense, like, this was a little bit more self-aware, like, self-parody, like, where Gabe was like, oh, man, like, this is the greatest stipulation in the history of wrestling. And, like, you know, I'm going to see Lacey's boobs. Like, he said, he kind of said it like that. And, like, but, like, Yang humping the picture of Lacey, like, the baby face doing that, like, that's fucked up. Like, (laughs) like, so we have not moved completely past a lot of the problematic stuff of ROH's early years. And you know what it actually reminded me a lot of? The commentary? Do you remember, like, the match that put, like, the modern era of 
WWF tag teams in the 2000s on the map was No Mercy 1999 between Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys. I think like a lot most people our age remember that match, right? Like it was a. Or are you talking about the final of the TIT Invitational? Match? Yeah, exactly the TIT Invitational. <laughs> like, do you, have you watched that match at all in the past like ten years? Not in a long time, but instantly we yeah. said that like I don't remember the commentary, but I'm going to assume it was. All about Terry. <laughs> Jerry Lawler just like kept talking about Terry and like yeah and, and like oh they want to they want to get the services of Terry like it was just like that <laughs> over and over again like um and and like there's like like one point was like Dad Terry's gonna climb the ladder and I'm gonna look up like just like <laughs> stuff like that and it's just like that's what this reminded me of it was just like weird. I mean, this was 2006, so I guess this wasn't far removed from that. And also, I think this was just a couple months after the live sex ceremony on <laughs> Raw. So I guess this was of its time. But, like, yeah, not what you want from ROH. So, um, yeah, thumbs down. Um, but I did li- I did kind of like the finish. And, you know, I guess, you know, good that Delirious got himself a win. This was his, like, I think this was his first main ROH show on the East Coast. I'm pretty- this was definitely the first time I saw him live. Yeah, like the switch is definitely flipped for uh, Delirious. And Ken, that Davey Richard thing's kind of framing me because I thought, oh, Gabe was really playing a lot for Delirious. But maybe, again, maybe this was just kind of an opportunity that what will come later that falls into his lap. But either way, next match, Ring of Honor tag team titles on the line. Generation next of Austin Aries and Roderick Strong successfully defend the titles. They defeat the Rottweilers of Homicide and Ricky Reyes in 15 minutes, 11 seconds, when Aries pinned Reyes after a 450. Uh, before the match, the CZW fans chant, we want blackout, which for those who don't know, that was a CZW staple with like Eddie Kingston and some other guys, Ruckus, Sabian. And um, an angry Homicide gets on the mic and he tells them if they want black, to, if they want to see blackout to fuck with the Rottweilers, tell them to come with Ring of Honor. Then he says some... Not great epithets I will not repeat on the podcast. Um, and then in the notes, Matt, what do you think about this match? Uh, the Observer, the live notes said this match was disappointing. This was a match that basically every live report I saw shit on this match to varying degrees. I definitely liked it more than I remembered. Like, I don't think it was a, like a particularly good match. Um, but, like, it wasn't boring. Like, it was like, to me, like, there was a lot going on in the match. I think the thing that made it not great is that Homicide seemed a little bit off. Like, but I'll, I'll, I'll just go through it. Like, there was a "We Want Blackout" chant from the CZW fans, which I thought was a was was pretty cool because, like, hey, it's the first Eddie Kingston reference in ROH. Um, yeah. And who else was in it? Um, Ruckus was was Sabian in it. Joker? Sabian, Ruckus, Joker. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm not I'm not up on my. I, I feel like that's main, those are the main guys. I think. But yeah, those are the main core of the of the group. Yeah. So Homicide tells the crowd, if Blackout wants to fuck with the Rottweilers, come to Ring of Honor Homicide. And then he tells them to suck his dick, which draws an ROH chant. So um, I think that it would be funny to start an ROH chant anytime anyone mentions sucking dicks or sucks a dick or anything like that. I think <laughs> just just start chanting ROH. If As Gabe a- said earlier on the, uh, on the commentary, he's going to blow something. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So ROH. Um, so... Um, <laughs> Um, then there was a, there was a moment where like during the match where Reyes like bails after Ares gets in the ring, like he's afraid of him. 
and, which is unlike Reyes, but the crowd starts chanting pussy at Reyes. So Homicide says, like, oh, yeah, Reyes does get pussy. So now Homicide I is – you are a pussy. I thought he was like, oh, you are a – like he was kind of like, I, I, I like can't deny it. Like because I, I thought they were kind of like I don't, sending – I don't think that's what it was. I think he was like hmm. saying, oh, he, do, he does get pussy. You're right. Like, like I think it was like kind of like that. But you can go back and look, but hmm. I think that's what it was. Matt, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just trust you. <laughs> I'm not going to go to that effort. Well, listeners, you can you can tell you yeah, can decide. Listeners, right. you do it. You do it for us, listeners. Well, we've, we've done so much for you. But what I was going to say is, now in the first like two minutes of the match, Homicide has talked about dicks and pussy. So he's uh, he's done the. I guess it's not the trifecta; it's the bifecta. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is that show is is on is on a tear, Matt. <laughs> Um, Your Jerry Lawler impression, my complete breakdown in the last match, <laughs> by, by Fecta, this is one for the books. Took us a hundred shows to get there. Um, <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, Homicide sort of, like, has this slightly playful tone, so the match doesn't really have a lot of intensity, and so there's, you know, there's, like, slow going for a little while, but they do some fun stuff, like, Ares does his headstand head scissors escape thing but like with homicide facing down so he doesn't do the drop kick you know i always like to see some like variations on standard moves i enjoyed that um and there there was another spot where homicide goes for a sunset flip but strong moves and puts his knee out dropping homicide into a backbreaker i thought that was pretty cool so th- you know there there's definitely cool stuff they get heat on Roderick strong for a while there was you know they they double they double team him at one point, Homicide chucks a chair at Strong's head, which seemed very brutal, but I guess, you know, obviously, it's going to seem brutal when you throw a chair at someone's head. But, like, this one seemed, like, extra bad, um, and Homicide got a two-count off of that with a lackadaisical cover. cover. Um, then, um, at one point, Ares comes in. They all brawl on the floor. Homicide suplexes Strong onto the timekeeper's table and then does a double stomp off the apron through the table, which I did not remember that. But Homicide doesn't capitalize on the big move. He just kind of leisurely drops a knee on him. So that sort of brings up my point. Homicide was just kind of like a little weird here. Um, but um, Ares, he tries to be a house of fire, but like he's selling the leg because they worked on the leg earlier in the match. He does his shin breaker back suplex on his bad knee on Reyes. Um, Homicide takes out Ares' leg when he goes for the brain buster. And Homicide hits the ace, ace crusher and the lariat. And Reyes covers, and Strong breaks that up. And then there's like this really sloppy series of reversals, and then Strong hits a half-Nelson backbreaker on Homicide. Um, hits the Gibson driver on Reyes. Ares goes up top. Homicide pulls him off, while Reyes hits the dragon suplex on Strong. And while the hold is on, Ares goes the, for the 450, and Strong like escapes the hold. And so Ares hits the 450, so that's really good timing, and Generation Next wins. So, like... I don't know. Homicide just seemed off here. Like, he did some cool stuff, but then randomly just, like, kind of chilled out and got distracted. He just couldn't keep up the intensity, botched a couple moves. You know, and I love Homicide, but, like, he was just off here. But he, I don't know. Like, he he, he just seemed, like, in a weird mood. Um, but I did think that, like, there was a lot going on. So, like, I don't think the match was bad. But if Homicide was on his A game, I think this would have been a pretty darn good match. Because I think everyone else was pretty good here. Yeah, I, I thought this was my favorite match of the first three matches, but I still would think it's only kind of like a bit above average. But uh, it wasn't terrible, but I I, I kind of agree with the sentiments of people that were like, you know, you, you see 15 minutes and you see Homicide, Austin Aries, Roderick Strong, you think, oh, and Reyes is not a terrible wrestler or anything. So you think, oh, this is going to, this could be really good. And yeah, it, it, 
underwhelmed in that sense. I wasn't quite as negative on Homicide as you, but I agree it was definitely was weird that like he does these couple really big things with the chair throw Strong's head and then the and the double sum with the tail. Like like he did those two moves felt like moves from a much bigger match that he was not wrestling, you know. Like like it kinda of almost out of place, like, oh, you think the match is gonna pick up, but really no, it's more of a just a third from the bottom undercard match that he just decided randomly, like, I'm gonna stomp a guy through a table at ringside that, that, that which seemed kind of crazy. Um he did hit one hell of a of a lariat to I think the back of Aries head that looked pretty hard, common in the head. Maybe again, maybe that's not a good thing. Um Mike Johnson wrote in uh, his live reports that uh Austin Aries was limping due to a heel injury he sustained working indie shots in Wisconsin. So I wasn't really looking for that. I only saw it afterwards. So I, I didn't really notice that. But, boy, poor guy. He's already working with a bad knee. Then you hurt your a- a- ankle, and you're still working on it. So, I mean, good for him. I, I, well, I don't know if I should celebrate that. But either way, um, moving on, though. Let me just – I accidentally freaked out with my notes, Matt. Um yeah, so uh, that brings us to the Ring of Honor World Title match. Brian Danielson successfully defends the title, defeating Cole Cabana in five minutes, two seconds. I did not misspeak. So, um, yeah, th- this is more of an angle than a match, as the time might lead you to believe. Uh, it- it's good, I think, that, that it is more of an angle than a match, because the crowd spent the entire match chanting each other rather than reacting to pretty much anything in the ring, apart from, at one point, Brian Danielson mooning the CZW audience. Um, Matt, quick... Uh, Quick question, quick uh, on-air uh, production thing. Should the, uh, part of me wants to make that the picture for this episode, especially because it would be funny if like the hundredth episode of the show, our picture is Brian Danielson's ass. But also, I feel like maybe that would get us flagged or not be good. Maybe a kid yeah. listens. Maybe, maybe, but- maybe yes, yeah, so I, I want to do it too. But like, I also don't want Brian Danielson to get mad at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it will not be that. But just know in our hearts. That's the image for the show. You make exactly. your own custom version of episode 100 through the years. Edit that picture into the like the info on it. But um, yes. <laughs> so Colt's back to the fun love and Colt. Brian's clearly tickled pink to work in front of the hostile CW, CW audience. Like he's in his element here. He loves like riffing with them and interacting with them. There's some fun but basic wrestling here. It's kind of what you would expect from the start of a much longer Brian Danielson Colt Cabana match, and then Danielson wins out of anywhere with like a simple pinning combination. I, I thought Colt's reaction was great. He gets up, like, not even aware he's lost at first, like, that his shoulders were down for three full seconds, and then he collapses on his back when he realizes he just blew the match. It's this, this huge opportunity, and then he keeps, like, freaking out, like, in denial again. Uh, in terms of live notes, I'll just point – I'll just going over it. A huge dueling overrated and shut the fuck up chance. That was one of CCW fans' favorite chants for Daniels in particular. It was not, like, you're bad. It was overrated. Um Danielson then has Bobby Cruz announce him as the least overrated wrestler in the world. Um, when Danielson moons the CZW fans, Gabe asks on commentary, commentary, how do we go from Lacey's boobs to Danielson's buttocks? And then um, a few CZW fans actually start to chant boring very early on. So again, the CZW fans really, this is a guy, Danielson, because they know he's such a integral figure to Ring of Honor. They really want to hijack this. Ring of Honor fans then come back with Hero tapped out. We get dueling We Want Necro and then overrated chants from the Ring of Honor fans about Necro Butcher. Then Super Dragon and overrated dueling chants. And then finally, which I forgot this, a Fuck You Robots chant, which we haven't talked about in a while. So for people that were not around the era, robots, ROH bots, like through and through the years, was a uh, 
some fans use it as a as, as a as a positive, but uh, from used in different contexts by other fans of other promotions, it was a negative con- connotation to call Ring of Honor fans robots. So, Wait till we get to Gabe's introduction of the robot arm. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh God, <laughs> that's coming not too far from now. <laughs> I love the way you say that's coming. <laughs> like, 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 you can't avoid it, Trevor. It <laughs> the robot arm is coming. Um, Matt, I mean, what do you think about this? Obviously, again, yet another thing on the show that's more of a story so far than a match, really. It's interesting how much the CZW fans just love fucking with Danielson. Like, way more than, I think, almost any other ROH wrestler. They just love giving it to Danielson. Danielson obviously loved getting it and giving it back, but like, Danielson's matches in front of these CZW crowds are just so different than his normal crowds because, and you know, and I actually appreciate it in, in a sense because it's like he was so revered by indie fans during this era that it's like he's never disrespected. So like seeing him be so disrespected by a crowd is kind of novel and fun, and they, they do it. You know, I mean, they'll do it pretty regularly. You go to any show during the CZW angle, you know, kind of near the East Coast, and he's gonna get it a lot. Uh, you know, in like the Jersey shows and the, uh, and obviously the Philly shows. So it's, it's going to be like, it's, it's fun, but it's just such a different dynamic. Um, I, so I enjoyed that, but yeah, I, I think that this is great booking. Like I, I really think, you know, I, I really like the, the Jimmy Jacobs thing, but I think this is great booking for one, the element of surprise. Nobody saw that coming. Which is, you know, good if as long as it makes sense. Um, two, I think it's really good character development for Cabana. Like he goes through this war with Homicide. He thinks he can just like pop back into being silly Cabana and it doesn't work. And three, they knew the crowd was going to hijack the match anyway, which they were, you know, doing. So it's like, why even bother doing the match? Let's just do a really good character development angle. And if, obviously the other reason is it sets up the whole concept that a title match can end at any time. Um, I mean, I guess the one thing that kind of subverts that is if you really wanted to get that over, you would do it in the main event. You know what I mean? Um, you know, a mid-card world title match does seem a little bit different than a main event world title match. But hey, I mean, this is still more than most promotions would have done for a big, like, built-up world title match. So I think that this was extremely successful. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, in a way, it, it doesn't tip it off. But, like, I agree in the sense of uh, Gabe... You know, there's there's a clear reason they did it, the five minute match on this show, right? Because it this it's not the main event. Is, yeah, yeah, it's it, Danielson's not the draw on this show. The you know the draws the CZW feud, and and even even with giving you this this five minute match, even then they go the extra mile off. They're going to give you a make good Danielson match, you know. But, right, but, imagine, but, you, but you didn't know that at the time, so it was still exactly when yeah. it happens. And and I imagine like. Like, yeah, like, it, you're right. It would, you know, if you did this like the main event of a Chicago show and had Danielson beat Colton five minutes, I think that would do even more to kind of train fans. Like, anything could happen in the World Wrestling Federation. But, um, yeah, there's a, there's a, there are pluses and minuses to do it. Yeah, but, 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 but I don't think Gabe would ever kind of have the ball seems like too derogatory, but just like, I don't think he'd have the willingness to push his crowd that far. Like, you're nor, nor would, it. nor would I if I was a booker. Yeah. Um, but you, again, like you're on the ball, like you completely echo a lot of the notes I'm about to read because I actually have some, some insider news about the, uh, the, the logic of the, the booking of Cabana here. First, the torch. 
uh, they would write in the torch. The timing of Colt Cabana's TV jobs on WWE TV in mid-April came at a bad time for Ring of Honor as he's scheduled for a Ring of Honor world title match against Brian Danielson days later. Gabe Sapolsky has said he doesn't consider his top wrestlers jobbing on WWE TV to be of concern to him, although John Walters disappeared from Ring of Honor shortly after jobbing while he was pure champion on WWE TV. Again, I'm first I'm going to pause and just say Wade, I think, cares way too much about that, more than most fans do. Um, Sources say the official line on Cabana's quick loss to Danielson on April 22nd in Philadelphia was to recondition Ring of Honor fans to believe that Ring of Honor title matches can end at any time, thus making near falls early in matches mean more in the future. The plan for Cabana is to be is to rebuild him from the bottom up and eventually back into the Ring of Honor world title picture. It is likely he will face Danielson again for the Ring of Honor world title as a challenger with a lot of build, which is something that many of Danielson's challengers have been lacking thus far. It does not and get it, a lot of build, by the way. Like it's yeah. I mean, it, it you know more than it did, but it's not like they build up as his biggest challenger for months. It's still like he's still like a secondary Danielson challenger. I think one of my funniest trivia bits is um, they they do this whole thing like angle which is kind of spoiling things but we'll just mention it now um the oh colt's gotta start from the bottom and work his way back out starting at the openers and he does work some openers but the very next show after this he's in the main event and i believe <laughs> two of the three next shows he's in the main event so like this whole start from the bottom thing it they don't really stick with it. and like you said they don't go with it very long even you know he's quickly back up there but uh the observer had a kind of a different angle on this dave wrote they did an interesting booking deal on this Ring of Honor show. Since much of the crowd came to see the promotion versus promotion rivalry, Ring of Honor champ Brian Danson worked before intermission, beating Colt Cabana with a roll-up in five minutes, two seconds. This was done for a few reasons. The first is Sapolsky felt the crowd, because they came for a wild main event fight, wouldn't be interested in the usual Danielson match, and felt they'd turn on it if it went more than 20 minutes. The others, because for some time they've been talking about doing a five-minute title match just to make fans think there can be a pin in the title match at any time. The gimmick is Caban is now going to start at the bottom, working openers. The idea is to build him all the way back for a match with Danielson on the next Chicago show. So, like you said, Matt, exactly. Like, even Gabe also thought, apparently, like, if we do a 20-minute Danielson match on the show, the crowd's going to fucking shit on it. You know, they're going to – I don't know why I swore there, but they're going to they're gonna shit on it. They're going to they're gonna complain. Um yeah, I think that's interesting. And you know what's also interesting is how this kind of a pattern, because just two shows earlier, um, they do the Danielson-Roderick uh, Strong match that goes like 55 minutes. And what did all the newsletters say was the point of that, which was apparently Gabe saying, I wanted to train the fans to think that a match could go close to an hour, but not an hour. So literally two shows later, he now does the opposite. Like he, Like Gabe, clearly this was a whole big initiative from him at this point to kind of in both directions. And um, that brings us to intermission. We go backstage where Gary Michael Capetta is with Jimmy Jacobs. Gary asks why Jacobs let up when he had the match won tonight. Jimmy says he wasn't going to let people go on ringofrhvideos.com and see Lacey naked. Jimmy says he did what he did tonight in the name of love. Gary says he can appreciate that. Like, Gary seems honestly touched. <laughs> and then he sees Colt Cabana walking nearby. He just rushes over to Colt. You know, Jimmy, you're old news. He asks Colt, what happened tonight? You know, he lost so quick. Colt still stunned. He walks away without saying anything at all. Gary says he's going to try and talk to Colt again by the end of the night. And by the way, I want to add one thing about the the Danielson Colt thing. Colt did a great job selling how surprised and disappointed he was in himself after that loss. Like the way he kept like the way he like collapsed on the mat, kept going back, like really, you know, just like it was over the top, but I think it was really, really good at selling what had just happened. And this promo I think continues that. 
Yeah, and I think that's like the difference that makes this a good story. Like if you would just – like if this had been a TV show and you would just immediately cut to commercial or something like – I think that's the difference between a good story and making him just look like a chump. Like the fact that he really puts out like this is crazy. Like this never happens to me. Like what what's happened? I can't believe it. Yeah, exactly. It, I, it kind of protects him and makes it just a more interesting story. But um, – First match after intermission, we get a Ring of Honor top of the class trophy title match. They kind of haven't really been building the top. Of, I guess it's been changing or happening on the under on the uh, dark matches. But Derek Dempsey at this point was the uh, top of the class trophy uh, holder, and he successfully defends that when he defeats Pele Primo via pinfall in three minutes eighteen seconds with a jackknife cradle. I thought this was a perfectly decent short student match. Uh, the CCW fans heckle them, of course, but I thought the match was solid. Pele continues to really impress me for a guy with so little experience here. He has some clear charisma. He has great body language. He sells everything like it kills him, which for a guy his size, you know, it works perfectly. Uh, Dempsey wins with a spine buster immediately followed by a jackknife cradle. And Dempsey had some, like, surprisingly stiff shots in there, like a really big forearm, a big slap. Like, so he was definitely being taught to, like, to work stiff, and I think he was doing a good job of it. Yeah, and uh, so immediately after the match, uh, Brian Danielson makes his way back out to the ring. Dempsey and Primo have left the ring, but he tells them to get back in the ring. Danielson gets in as well. He has the mic, and the fans break into more overrated chants. We get more shut-the-fuck-up dueling chants in response. Danielson says, you know who? what's overrated? And at this point, perfectly, a CCW fan does a very CCW thing and blows an air horn, which the CCW fans love. Like You're like, yay, you picked the perfect time. And um, they keep doing it, but... Brian says, what is overrated is fans who think they're cool and blow blow horns. Wrestlers who can't hurt each other by wrestling or hitting, they have to use weed whackers. Danielson, uh, then he uses the F-word slur for gay people, and he says comparing CZW fans to gay people is an insult to homosexuals. Uh, he makes fun of CZW fans a repetitive chance and says Ring of Honor fans, on the other hand, are almost equally as dumb. Just kidding, just kidding. And he has a real, like, genuine chuckle at that. It was very cute. Um... Danielson gets on the CZW fans for being profane. He says there are kids in the Ring of Honor crowd, and he has the crowd give the kids in the crowd a hand. Brian says the two students in this ring are from the Ring of Honor Wrestling School, and the match that they just had showed more technical wrestling than CZW's entire history. Brian says as the new trainer of the Ring of Honor Wrestling School, these guys are only going to get better. Uh, Brian tells the CZW hecklers that he'll show his butt to them again if they keep doing chants, blowing the hair for Air horn, all that stuff. CZW fans then chant, shave your asshole. <laughs> and Brian at this point gives a very genuine, you guys are only embarrassing yourselves. Like, which I thought, you could tell he's like almost going to lose it. Um, Brian congratulates the students. He asks them to leave the ring. He says he, he's unfinished business. Brian says he's been the Ring of Honor champion for over six months. CZW fans then chant, you still suck at that. Brian says as champ and the Ring of Honor head trainer, he's now basically decided, I, I own this place. I run it. I can call my own shots. CZW fans at this point just start going, ho, to derail Brian. And Brian says, oh, it looks like we've got some big hacksaw Jim Duggan fans here. Um, he then says he thinks the, those fans think they're cool. But the funny thing is if they all charge the ring right now, he could kick out the crap out of each and every one of them. Ring of Honor fans chant, Fuck him up, dragon. Fuck him up. 
Brian has the kids in the crowd cover their ears, and he has the crowd do the football chat from England. He says, you're going to get your fucking head kicked in. This, is, this all- is, by the way, the moment he really introduces it. Remember, he tried to get it in there at that Buffalo Stampede match with Carino, yeah. but this is where it like really gets over because he just says it on the mic. He tells them what to chant. I think it's extremely funny that he's like, you should be original and chant this thing that I'm telling you to chant right now. But <laughs> that I've already done once before that I picked up from soccer in England. <laughs> yeah, but hey, whatever. It works. People still chant it to some degree years later, so I guess it got over. I mean, it's in his theme song. Like they have that like in the background of his theme song oh, without I didn't know, of course I didn't even saying know that one. Yeah, if you listen to the song, it, like it, it, there are people in the background chanting it, but they don't say the F word, obviously. Um, his his current AEW theme. Um, so anyway, the fans do it. The chant, the fans seem like really impressed that they did the chant. Brian, they, they pop for it. Brian says that was fifty times better than anything the idiot CZW fans have ever done. The CZW fans chant that was gay. So again, two thousand six, everybody. Uh, Brian says, since he only wrestled four, and then he pauses because he doesn't know how long he wrestled. And he goes, Green Lantern fan, where are you? Which was a really cute moment that the fans pop for. Again, for fans that haven't been long-time listeners, Green Lantern fan, kind of less known these days, but fan mainstay of a lot of wrestling shows. And he was famous for, had a stopwatch on his on his wrist, would always time out the matches and immediately put them on the message board, send them into newsletters. Um Brian said he wrestled only for six minutes, didn't break a sweat, so he's going to wrestle again. Someone who won in the first half of the show. He says, Christopher Daniels, sorry, I've already beat him. Austin Aries, I already beat him. The CZW fans chant TNA at this point. Roderick Strong, I've already beat him three times. So who's that leave? Delirious. If you have the guts, come on out here. Challenge me for this title. Delirious comes to the ring. Delirious was ready, like, instantly. I don't know how that (laughs) happened. Delirious always ready, Matt. He's never out of character. He's, he's the lizard man. He has to cover that face up. And um, always just standing in the gorilla position. <laughs> Delirious comes to the ring, and Brian asks Delirious if he honestly thinks he can beat him, the best wrestler in the world, for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Delirious cuts a long promo in Delirious language, including singing the final countdown, until Bri- Danielson just slaps Delirious and starts the match. So before we get to the match, Matt, like that was a long thing. I, I imagine if you're like me, a lot of the homophobic stuff, even from our uh, guy we were big fans of here on Through the Years, was pretty disappointing. But it was also another example of just how good Danielson is on the mic. Yeah, in, so. the, in a sense, so like you know, I'm very high on Danielson's like live crowd mic work. Uh, this in this era, this was probably my least favorite of that, um, partially because of the. Um, because of the slurs, like that's a big part of it. Um, but also, I feel like there wasn't a lot of substance to it. You know, it was a lot of just him having fun. So like. He was having fun with the with the with the CZW fans and like so it was, it was a lot of ad libbing so it was a little bit just more rambling and meandering than usual so it wasn't like of all the different mic work that he's done this year is probably at the bottom of the list but you know he still showed a lot of charisma and clearly was having a good time. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, I I, I probably just a little more than you, but I agree that it was kind of formless in, in in some ways. Yeah, but it does lead to a second Ring of Honor world title match on the night. Brian Danielson successfully defends the title again, defeating Delirious by referee's decision or stoppage in 15 minutes, 43 seconds, when Danielson used the repeated MMA elbows to the head. Um, Matt, what do you think about this? Obviously, this was a big opportunity for Delirious. I think um, I think this match struck a good balance. Like, in the end, it was a good match. Like, it gave Delirious hope, but not in an overly unrealistic way whereas like this guy was went from being a jobber to you know like dominating the world champion um i um 
you know, but I, I think so. Okay, so the match starts off with Danielson just like dominating for a pretty long time, but just like. He does it in this way where he's toying with Delirious. Like, he has so much fun. He's fucking with the CZW crowd. You know, he gets a surfboard on almost immediately, does the bow and arrow, you know, does the, the curb stomp while, um, you know, while, uh, you know, preening for the RO, for the CZW crowd. And Prezak calls, uh, Super Dragon after when, when Danielson does the curb stomp. He calls Super Dragon Stupid Dragon. Which is an extremely <laughs> sick burn. Um, the crowd starts chanting, "This match sucks." Danielson does the Rick Rude hip swivel, and then like snaps back on Delirious's legs. Um, the it's basically, it's basically respond to that by chanting "Ring of Homos" again. This was probably one of the more homophobic episodes we've ever had on through the years in terms of the show we're covering. Which think of the ground that covers. So does that mean the CZW fans are even more homophobic than ROH fans, or is it just the just they bring out the best in each other, Matt? Yeah, they exactly. You know, so it's basically the early part of the match is Danielson, he's playing with Delirious, but it's like a backdrop to him mainly going at it with the CZW fans. Um, he does a particularly vicious abdominal stretch. He's grinding his forearm and elbow against Delirious's face, grabbing the top rope behind the ref's back. But then all of a sudden, Danielson puts up Delirious for a superplex and Delirious headbutts him off, hits the shadows over hell. So at this point, the crowd doesn't like totally get into Delirious as a potential like threat to Danielson, but... They do stop jeering the match, right? There's a little, there's less heckling. They, they start getting into it. Like, so, and, and Delirious, he can't, he kind of slumps in the corner. He follows up eventually. He does a drop kick, a panic attack, gets a small package, gets a leaping lariat, but Danielson goes right into the cattle mutilation and the crowd at this point is starting to cheer him on. He gets his feet to the ropes. Delirious gets an airplane spin, which is not super long, but he does follow up with a punt to Danielson's midsection. Gets the Cobra stretch backbreaker right into the Cobra stretch hold, and the crowd pops, pops pretty decently for that one. And Danielson, he makes the ropes relatively quick, quickly, goes to the outside. Delirious then does a tope onto Danielson. So, like, Danielson really took a lot of the match, but Delirious really condenses a lot of his big moves into a short period of time. Um, but then, after the tope, Danielson, he whips Delirious hard into the guardrail, and then he goes, airplane spin! He picks up Delirious, and you might predict this. He does a couple of rotations, but then he's just like – he gives the finger to the crowd, and then he just chucks Delirious head first into the ring post, and Delirious blades, and that really becomes the story of the match. Danielson starts tearing at the mask, and by the way, you see the top of Delirious' head and his hair, which suggests that he might not have a lizard face, Um, (laughs) but you know, Danielson's – yeah, Danielson's being pretty brutal. He's biting Delirious's bloody head. No bridge dragon suplex. Um, uh, cattle mutilation. Crowd actually pops really big when Delirious gets to the rope again. I think they thought that was it. Um, then Delirious moves out of the way of the diving headbutt. He hits repeated clotheslines, keeps going, gets a superplex, or goes for a superplex, but Danielson escapes at the bottom, gets the belly-to-back superplex, goes right into the elbows. The ref stops the match. Um, and... I don't know when this happened, but by the end of the match, when Delirious is being carried out, it looks like his hand has been sliced open hugely. He's just bleeding like hell from the hand, like way more than from the head. So I don't know what happened to his hand. I guess it must have been on the guardrail, but I don't know. I didn't notice when it happened. But, you know, the blood and like how destroyed Delirious seemed at the end really got the match over. As like Danielson, like he, he, you know, like Delirious gave him a little bit of a run, but Danielson is still the ultimate dominant champion. 
So I think the balance is good. And I think it really does speak well that like the crowd wanted to shit on Danielson for the whole match, but then they got into delirious. So I think that says good things. So I think this match ended up being pretty successful. So first off, I just want to like you like you're exactly right. This is from the Ring of Honor Newswire for April 23rd. Uh, they wrote in it: Delirious suffered a deep wound on the inside of his hand when he was cut on the corner post of Ring of Honor's new ring. So classic Ring of Honor. It seems like with also with the new ring size had all those years ago that were legendarily sharp. Like whenever Ring of Honor gets something new, it's razor sharp. Apparently, um, Delirious's head was also lacerated and his mask was torn. So so yeah, apparently it was just like you said. Like I guess his hand just got cut on the uh, on the brand new spe- i didn't realize a brand spank a new ring so i guess probably really sharp edges but in terms of uh, your review i i like you basically said everything i i i agree exactly i think match of the night so far very good but very good as a match it's not quite competitive enough to be like a great match but it, it as entertainment i think it's great entertainment i think it's great storyline like, like everything you mentioned like you know, this match wouldn't work if it wasn't someone on Delirious's place on the card at this point. If it, this was like a top name, you'd be like, oh, Danielson's eating him up. But with Delirious, he's like an undercard guy that's just starting to get pushed, that fans are really kind of rooting for. He's an underdog. And they treat him like an underdog where I don't think he gets like significant or maybe any offense till halfway through the match. But like you said, when he does get offense, it's like his big stuff. So you kind of buy into things and it's enough that he, you know, you're, you're rooting for him. You don't think he's just like being pathetic or anything. And I was really impressed with Daniels in the sense of those opening few minutes. He's doing almost nothing but crowd interaction interaction, but he's doing it in such a way like while delirious is in holds and stuff where it doesn't feel like he's just stopping the match to like do five minutes of crowd work. Like he's somehow doing it simultaneously, even though your focus is kind of on the crowd yeah, and then, put, yeah. putting it in the hole, putting it in the hold is the crowd work, which is you know it's really clever. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, to your, I, I think it's a great point too. Like I mentioned earlier, there's a few points on the show where it does where where the CZW fans did kind of forget they were there to hate Ring of Honor, and I think this is the first one. Like you correctly point out, in the last half of this match, it's just a really neat match. I mean, I don't know how much they were cheering it. It's I wasn't there, and as you mentioned earlier in the show, like. The, the sound system doesn't always pick up things. It can be very location dependent, but this was the first match on the show where the fans, when they were set on heckling it, they, they seemed to forget to heckle it at, at like halfway through. They, they were like, Oh, maybe we should just enjoy this. And not coincidentally, probably it's the best match on the show so far. So, you know, they, when there's a really good wrestling, they forget to hate the wrestling. Um, I, I just thought that was a really neat magic trick that, uh, Daniels and Delirious pulled to kind of, get the fans to especially when like you were saying earlier danielson by far on the show uh, up to this point is the guy this crowd the ccw fans want to hate they want to give the less the least amount of chance to and danielson's the guy that kind of is the first person to kind of break them in that sense so i think that's really cool but um yeah, so after the match, a pretty bloody delirious gets helped to the back. Danielson poses in the ring, and in one of the most like strangely heartwarming moments, I think, in through the years history thus far, um, it sounds like a couple of CZW fans try and start a We Want Hero chant, and the Ring of Honor fans overwhelmingly respond with a far, far louder He's Our Hero chant for Danielson. And which, which like by this, the way, by the way, I think I thought this at the time. Isn't that kind of a pathetic chant? <laughs> I... I, I think it's pathetic, but in the context, I also think it's kind of sweet. Uh, I mean, 
especially when it's response. I think it was in response to someone trying to start. We want hero chant, and you know it's kind of like a nice double play. You know, he's our hero. He's our Chris hero. He's our hero. But yeah, is it kind of dorky? Yes. But Matt, I, I let, let me put this hypothesis to you, Matt. I think uh, everything about pro wrestling is dorky. Um, yes, yes, yes. I, I know what you mean. Though. This is kind of a little bit beyond the pale, but it's a little bit of debasing. But you know what? You I know like what? This. That's you're right. It's it's wrestling. Oh, our deep based. <laughs> I said deep. That's the deep uh, uh, thrombosis. Uh, uh, the, uh, the thrombosis are deeply based. <laughs> oh, this is a good show. Uh, so that brings us to the uh, semi-main event, at least in terms of matches. That would be the Briscoes of Jay and Mark. They defeat AJ Styles and Matt Seidel in 12 minutes, 42 seconds, when Mark pins Seidel after the Briscoes hit a spike J driller on him. Uh, this was the first in match, I think, from bell to bell on the show that the CZW crowd didn't heckle. I, I think basically from the start, they, they buy into this because this match kind of doesn't let the crowd turn on. Like the wrestlers never acknowledge the CZW fans, and they just go balls to the wall, at least by the standards of this era and this show. Um, it, it, you know, this is just a moves with a Z match. It's just back and forth moves and there's no real story or anything like that. But uh, at least in my, what I caught, but you know, there, there were loud, that was awesome chance during this match after the Briscoes did like a springboard kind of doomsday desi- device, kind of made more of a heart attack kind of variation on it. And that was actually so, a, yeah. that was awesome chant more than a, this is awesome chant. Yeah, which are always yeah. I like that unique. I, that's a fun variation on that. There were actually of honor chants during this match that if the CZW fans were trying to shout down, there weren't enough of them doing it that you could hear. So again, that was if you watch the show, that was kind of a a new thing for the show at this point. I thought this was another very good match. You know, I I um I don't think it's quite great just because the standards for this kind of match. I've seen so many of these big spot fests that like. They're even a bit faster today. They even go a bit farther today with the big moves at the end. But a really fun match. I enjoyed this. Do you think if you put yourself in the brain of Trevor in 2006, you would have thought this was a great match? This would have been, I would say, at least four stars. Like I would have been more – like a whole level above, definitely. This is definitely a match that it does lose a little bit in time. And yeah, if I put myself in that position, it's a better match. Yeah, I think Styles seemed pretty intense, although he does kind of botch a couple moves late in the match. And there are a couple botches that, to me, take it down a little bit. But you're right, like they don't. The CZW crowd doesn't even try shitting on this match. They never even begin to. Um, I think if there is a story to this match, I think it's like we're going to do callbacks to when AJ and Red wrestled the Briscoes. I think like there there are little nods to that. Like at one point there was the. Um, I guess I would say the perpendicular stereo dives onto the Briscoes where they, they go like through like, you know, adjacent corners. Crisscross applesauce. Yeah, crisscross dives and stuff. Yeah. So I think like maybe you could say that's a little bit of a story. But otherwise, yeah, it's about big moves and the Briscoes are just, you know, being badasses and dominant. And like I think that this this match, the Briscoes are really showing like that they're like they're men now, you know, like they're just they're they're hard hitting. It's 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 they're big. They're. They're showing a little bit of the heelessness by distracting the ref when they're working over Seidel. Um, you know, pull it, you know, um, while, you know, kind of baiting AJ in. Um, they, you know, even when the Briscoes slow things down to work over Seidel, like the match is constantly in motion. 
Um, and, you know, they do some really cool variations. Like you mentioned the Doomsday Rana springboard, but there was also not, – not the Doomsday Rana, the Doomsday Device. Yeah. But there, but there was also like – you know how AJ Styles does his like nip-up Rana move? So he did it to Mark here, but it was almost like a Frankensteiner because Mark got spiked right on the top of his head, which I thought was really cool. Um, and yeah, that, that finishing sequence was, you know, was great with, um, you know, Mark and AJ fighting on the floor, Mark throwing Styles into the guardrail, then just like running in the ring as Jay blocks Arana by Seidel, holds Seidel up for the springboard doomsday device. Um, the, the other botch that I, I noticed was a little bit, okay, so it wasn't a, it wasn't, I mean, you really had to be microanalyzing it like we do, but. There's so Seidel blocks a J driller and hits the standing moonsault and like he looks like he's gonna cover, but then he must have been reminded that he has to do another spot first. And so that kinda like made the timing weird. So basically the the spot was that like Seidel had to back into Mark, who was on the apron, who like kicks Seidel, and then the Briscoes hit the spike J driller on him. But I, I thought the move the, the the cool part of the, that ending was AJ tries to dive to break up the pin. But Jay pulls him away as Mark pins Seidel. So yeah, I thought the match was just really exciting. I um I agree. It was it was really like a high, very, very good. You know, maybe if it was a little bit longer, a little bit faster, maybe some more dramatic near falls, it could have gotten to the great even at this pace. But I think that it, it was a really good addition and I think it, you know, added to the Briscoe's momentum here. And I think Seidel and Styles are a good team. Yeah, and the the sad thing, well, maybe not sad because I mean, I guess we can talk to about it more when he has his last couple of matches. But this match is the end, basically, of AJ Styles is like a semi regular in Ring of Honor. Like he'll be working one show in July, one in August, and then he's out of Ring of Honor for years and years. So, in terms of him being kind of on like a bunch of the shows and really in the company at all, the second thing is almost is over in a couple show in a few shows, and then. But this is kind of the end for him as semi-regular AJ Styles on the second run, which is, uh, yeah, I mean, I still liked him on these shows, but he wasn't the same. But that's kind of sad. I also just realized I forgot something because you were talking about, like, how pinfalls work. One thing I wanted to mention about the uh, the four-way with the great ending with the Delirious and the 450 and the Ricky Reyes stuff, or it wasn't the 450, it was uh, – I'm mixing things up. That was delirious four way. There, there's a moment in that match where remember on the recent show, I was saying like, Oh, does it count? Like did uh delirious get out of uh, the Ricky Reyes choke? And, uh, because he, he had found like three counters of it in the last match. And you were like, yeah, it probably didn't count. Well, ring of honor clearly didn't believe they count because they were still like, you know, no one's gotten out of Ricky Reyes choke on this night. And then I realized something that I wanted to ask you. So I'm glad I can bring it up now. And I didn't forget, which is, so the end of that thing is like Roderick Strong gets to the ropes when um, uh, Ricky has him in the choke and the unbreakable dragon sleeper, just like Delirious did the earlier show. And I just want to say like if something is unbreakable, but you can just get to the ropes and someone has to break it, like is that technically unbreakable? Or also if it is still technically unbreakable, does that even matter then? <laughs> like if, if I can grab the ropes, if that's not an impossibility – the idea of, oh, you can't get out of this move, it's like, well, I can scoop my butt to the ropes. Like, like I don't know. For some reason, watching that match, it just kind of hit me. It's more just like a badge of honor. Like, did, like if you were able to actually, like, break it, that's, like, a, uh, you know, a mark in your favor. Whereas, you know, you, you get to the ropes, sure, but, like, actually escaping it, you did something no one else was able to do. So I guess it's more like that. It's more like, you know, just to say you did it as opposed to, 
that it's something that was necessary. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that. Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting putting it. Um, next, we get a video recapping highlights of the Ring of Honor's first 99 shows. Um, Matt, you and I, I think we both recently, probably made me a little bit more because I'm a, I'm a meanie, but um, got in Ring of Honor for a few highlight packages that obviously had a lot of work put into them, but just went on way too long, had too many random clips. I think, to their credit, this video package is pitch perfect in those respects. It's yeah. two or three minutes. It's tons of quick little clips. It's pretty much exclusively iconic moments that should be in there from the first 99 shows. And pretty good stock music also. Yeah, and I got I got I am embarrassed to admit this, Matt, but I actually got very slightly emotional watching this. And it, it wasn't uh, I'm nostalgia. Laughing at you, sorry, no, it's okay. It was uh, Matt. This is an embarrassing. This is my uh, um, he's our hero moment. But uh, I was embarrassed writing this in my notes just to remind myself to bring this up. But I want to be shamed. It's my kink, Matt. No, um, hmm. I'm not, glad to help you out. It's not. No, it, if that was my kink, my life would be so good, actually, with how often <laughs> I'm embarrassed. But, um, no, I, um, it wasn't for like nostalgia for the, for the matches as much as it was like nostalgia was, for doing this podcast. Yeah, it was. It really okay. was. It was like, man, like, cause it was this feel. And I, I think I've mentioned this before. It's the idea of like, I'm probably never going to revisit the stuff again. You know, it, the feeling I got the best, I was trying to think of it the other day when I was brushing my teeth. I was like, why did I feel like that? I got a, why, why am I a man feeling feelings, especially these weird feelings. But I think what I realized was it was kind of the feeling I imagined people would get that they described like when you go not to your 10 year high school reunion, if you like going to high school, but like your 30th or, or 35th or something like that idea of you don't know if you're going to see these people again, you know, and you like them. And maybe you'll see them again. I don't know. And I kind of felt that watching this was like with, with through the years, one of the nice things you've given to me by, you know, come with the idea for this podcast is we can revisit these things. And with a lot of these moments, I was like, maybe I'll watch some of these again, but maybe I won't, you know, like maybe this really has been it. And I got a little bit, little, little tiny bit emotional. Well, you know what? I am actually, and I think I've posted this before. But I'm going to post another video that was fan-made that's on YouTube. Somebody made about like about about the 100th show that was set to a cover of Forever Young by Alphaville. Um, um, I know I've posted it before, but it's been a while. And I actually like that one even better than this one. And if you thought this one made you tear up, wait till you watch that one if you have never before. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna... to post that on Twitter right around the time that this uh, this podcast goes up. Yeah. So if Twitter, I'm not... if, Twitter, if Twitter still exists in a couple hours, <laughs> finally the one good thing on Twitter this month. But um, I just want to make clear, wasn't crying yet, but definitely it's maybe slightly just feeling in the stomach of oh man, life it's passing. Matt, I can't go back. But uh, uh, what, what I really want to say, Matt, is let's uh, instead of doing episode 101, let's just start over again. Let's just never ending loop of uh, mm. first hundred episodes. But no. Sure. Um, <laughs> what, how, what do we think of the opening segment of the first show now? Just like Ring of Honor uh, through the years, the college years where we're, uh, we're, we're, we're we got a bunch of twenty year olds that were on on the pod with us, and we're just like, "What do you guys think of this? We already talked about this for three hours. You know, what do you think? You know, we just listening." But no, um, just to get you, just because you want to talk to twenty year olds, <laughs> it's the only way. It's the only acceptable way. Um, the highlight package ends with a graphic that says. Thank you for getting us to show number 100. So that was, an, you know, again, a nice, very, a very grateful tone on the show with some of the Gabe comments and that little graphic and stuff like grateful that. Grateful and horny. 
Those are the <laughs> two emotions that were expressed by Gabe on this show. The love language of Gabe Sapolsky we've discovered. Um, it is now time for the CCW Ring of Honor debate. Uh, Ring of Honor, Ring announcer Bobby Cruz introduces Gary Michael Capetta, who tells us he is here to moderate the great debate, which is what it apparently was called. I, I forget that. Um, Jim Cornette comes out first using a crutch backed up by Adam Pierce. Big ROH chant for him. Cornette says he is an impersonating Tiny Tim. He's on a crutch because he tore his cartilage in his knee in the skirmish with the hardcore wrestlers in Chicago, and now he needs surgery. The CCW fans heckle Jim, and he asks them if he goes to where they work and slaps the penis out of their mouths. I will note – Classic Mr. Show reference to me. (laughs) I will note that Jim – that's not me censoring the word dick or cock. Jim went clinical and said penis, so I like how profane he is in this coming segment – he went penis there. He but, should have um, gone Freudian and called it a phallus. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pierce says that he, uh, that's – Pierce, when, when, when uh, Cornet makes that line, Pierce goes, that's a legitimate question, which I thought was funny into the camera. Um, Cornet goes on to say that he postponed his surgery to defend what he believes in here tonight. He points out that Pierce is holding his bat, Velmo Lou. Cornet says Ring of Honor isn't paying Pierce tonight. He is to defend him in case someone tries to attack him. Uh, CCW head John Zandig then comes out to the CCW theme, carrying a barbed wire-covered baseball bat. In a nice touch, he enters from the back of the building and not from the standard wrestler's entrance that would be connected to the Ring of Honor locker room, so I like that little attention to detail. A couple fans actually throw leftover toilet paper from the Jimmy Rave entrance at Zandig as he hits the ring. Um, the crowd chants, fuck him up, Zandig, fuck him up, from the CCW section. Capetta lays out the debate rules. He says, there's a coin toss earlier the night to see who gets to go first, which Cornette won. Each side will make opening comments, and then the other side will respond to those comments. As you'll see, they don't really – there's no real form to this thing. It's Cornette yells for a while. Zandig yells for a little while. It's it's over. There's no. There, it's not a for, very uh, rigid debate. But I guess I guess the main part of the rules is Cornette got to go first. Exactly. That's the only thing really you need to know. Uh, Cornet, Cornet tells uh, Zandig he uh, he could clean his home promotion with that toilet paper that just got thrown in the ring. Jim says he has hired and fired guys that Zandig would blow a goat to be able to meet in person. He has worked for guys that Zandig couldn't get close to unless he was pissing next to them at an airport. He says he says he's seen tapes of CZW and Zandig couldn't book Lassie in a pet shop. He shuts on all the weapons CZW wrestlers use, which, which of course gets the CZW fans to the chant for CZW. But Cornet says he didn't come here to talk to Zandig. He came here to talk to the Ring of Honor fans and the hardcore fans. Cornet says they are all Philadelphia wrestling fans. They're all in this together. And what's at stake is the reputation of wrestling in Philadelphia. He was here when it started, 1986, at the Philadelphia Civic Center for the NWA, which that actually, I'm surprised, I was surprised that gets a pop from even like, I mean, like, you didn't hear the CZW fans boo that, like, Fans like when their city gets talked up, apparently. Um, he says that's where it first started, when fans in the business started to realize that fans in Philadelphia were a little more discerning, a little smarter. They lead the they led the wave of fans cheering guys not for the what not due to what dressing room they came out of, but their performance in the ring. Wrestlers knew that when you came to Philly, you better have your working boots on because the fans there would tell you if you sucked or not. Cornette, at this point, in the promo is getting mostly cheers from the entire crowd, which again, like Danielson, pretty impressive, I thought at this point. But we'll see. Um, Cornette says he'd sit back there with Ric Flair, Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson, and the Midnight Express, and they knew one of them would steal the show. Cornette sees Zandig get agitated at this point, and he asks Zandig, does he have anything to say? And Zandig asks if he'll ever shut the fuck up, which actually gets a bunch of boos just in general at this point. 
Corinth says he ain't done yet. He fast forwards to 1996 at ECW. That gets a big ECW chant. Zandig claps. He says, yeah, they were innovators, but like in a really kind of smug way. <laughs> um, Cornette says Zandig couldn't innovate a fart if he ate beans for dinner. Zandig puts his bat in Cornette's face and things get kind of testy at this point. Cornette says if Pierce shoved his bat up Zandig's ass, it'd be like stirring a rain barrel with a soup spoon. Corinthian gets back on track. He says, whether he uh, agreed with the prick who ran ECW or not, for every hardcore match ECW had, they introduced fans to some great wrestler, like one of the luchadors, like Rey Mysterio, like Eddie Guerrero, like Chris Benoit. He says, one more time, Philly was on the cutting edge, and and they were known as the place where the fans knew wrestling. He says, 10 years later, it's 2006, and Philly's again the cutting edge of the revolution, but this time the revolution's Ring of Honor. Zandig says, Corn is talking about the past, who he pissed with, who he jerked off with. It's 2006. It's CZW's time. Again, he's getting booze at this point. Cornette says, he's getting, it's time he's getting for- booed from the ROH contingent. Yeah. I will say the, 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 the CZW contingent is not like, like kind of the Danielson match. Maybe they're not totally for Corn at this point, but their enthusiasm to boo him is, is kind of lowered, I would say, up to this point. Um, Cornette says it's it's time for Philly to decide what their reputation is going to be. You know, is it going to be uh, the cutting edge with talented athletes or the home of hardcore wrestling? A peep show with Zandig as the head jizz mopper. Uh, Zandig asks Cornette if he's blind. He says Cornette and everyone should be thanking him because without CZW, this building would be half full right now. True. And that this – yeah, and the fans start, you know, this starts getting the CZW fans back, you know. He gets them to chant CZW, and they get immediately drowned out, though, by the much louder ROH fans. Uh, Corn asks the fans if they want to support the freak show or the real show. Is wrestling going to be owned by some billionaire and his kids or the new stars and talent? Do you want to soar with the eagles or scratch with the chickens? Zandig says, like, this isn't New York, as Cornette was referencing New York, you know, WWE. He says, this is Philadelphia. Fuck New York. We're talking about Philadelphia right now. Corn asks Zandig who the hell he thinks he is to piss in the pool he's devoted 25 years of his life to of a town that's been on the cutting edge. Sandig says, if Cornette's so anti-hardcore, what about Smoky Mountain Wrestling and when they tried to do hardcore wrestling? He says, Cornette's jealous because they couldn't do what CZW does. They took hardcore beyond Smoky Mountain and what was happening in the 90s. Cornette says, the Smoky Mountain stuff was guys settling issues, not stunt shows with broken glass done by people with a morbid need to be seen as somebody with a couple hundred bloodthirsty morons or seen by those people. Sandig asks Cornette, Sandy asks Cornette what the hell he's talking about. He says, half of Ring of Honor's locker room tonight came from CZW. Cornette says, well, guess what? Half of the locker room wouldn't go back to CZW for a million dollars. And then at this point, in one, I think the best lines of the, of the debate, Sandy points out, about a half dozen of those Ring of Honor wrestlers are booked for CZW's next show, best of the best, well, right here in okay, Philly. Okay, so, well, okay, so I, I sort of agree with you and sort of don't about that being a good line because I think it's kind of a cheap point. Because uh, I think the better line is that they came from CZW, but like the reason those guys are going to be on this CZW best of the best is because the whole gimmick was that it was CZW versus ROH. Yeah, yeah, you're right to a great degree. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, so anyway, Zenday continues. We're getting through this. Now. He goes, uh, think before you speak, Cornette. Uh, Cornette apologizes and says about a dozen of those wrestlers will be in a movie they're making about CCW called Broke Neck Mountain. And then he says uh, a horrible slur for gay people, you something fucker. Uh, such, ho- says, such a homophobic show, like the most well, homophobic show probably in like years. Like I said, this is probably the most homophobic show we've ever covered, hopefully ever will cover. Um Zandig says Cornette was crawling from under a man's desk, writing nothing. So I guess that's like a, a weird. He's like, you don't want to go there, Jim. Like I guess that's well, he, like he him mentions trying- like 
something in New Jersey? Was he talking about Dennis Coraluso? Like, I was trying to think of, like, what was going on in New Jersey. Yeah, it was hard to make out because also they were starting to talk over each other. But it was definitely something very inside baseball with, like, the implication that you were giving fellatio to people. Uh, so there's lots of shouting over each other at this point. Uh, Cornet calls Zendik a pathetic excuse for a wrestler, a pathetic excuse for a man, and just pathetic. He's out of here. Cornet goes to leave, and Zendik says, Jim is out of here like Smoky Mountain. He says, like every company he's run, everything he touches goes to shit or they get rid of him. Zendig says he's tired of talking. He's not big on talking. He has to see CW wrestlers to take these guys out before he does. And then they come out from the crowd. Chris Hero, Necro Butcher, Super Dragon, Samoa Joe's music hits. So before we get to any of that, um, yeah, this was a long segment. This was kind of billed as like the semi-main event of the night. I would say Cornet won most of this debate. He's obviously the more deba- – if you want to view it as winners or losers, he's obviously the more polished debate guy. He smartly framed everything as a war for Philadelphia's soul more than a – like more than CW Ring of Honor. He was more just like, look, Philly's great. Ring of Honor is like the next in a line of great things in Philly. Do you really want to like shit on it? And I thought that did kind of dampen the CCW hatred of him. But then the fans, you know, if, they, if those fans were shutting him down, I thought by the end, by that point, they were kind of drowned out at the very least. But then those final minutes, I thought Zanuck started landing punches. And it was like I was saying it was all because of something we've talked about a lot, which is unforced errors by Cornet. Because when it comes to CZW, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. Like when he talks about CZW drawing fans, he looks really stupid to those who uh, know the scene, especially when Zandig points out right to his face, you know, like you're doing big, like half the people here you're, is because of CZW right now. Like, so you, you talk about how we never draw anyone. Like it makes Cornet look really bad. And then, you know, when Cornet talks about CZW shows as pathetic freak shows and Zandy correctly points out many of them works in CZW and, you know, even Cornet's comeback is unforgiving. I know Matt, you think, you know, it, it's misleading in a way it is, but it still allows Zandy to kind of shove back in his face. Like you're saying, Oh, they wouldn't go back. Like, they're going back next. Well, this mu- well right. Next the month. reason the reason that it works is because Cornette doesn't know what I said. You know the thing that I said, which is that there's the best of the best, and it's ROH for CW. He probably just didn't even know that was a thing. So like exactly. he couldn't he couldn't make that comeback because he didn't know about it, and like he doesn't know anything about CZW. He probably never watched CZW. Has just a, probably just like he literally talks about like he thinks it's probably backyard wrestling, and like I don't know if anyone smartened him up. Like like no, a lot of it's like very similar to what ROH was doing, other than you know the 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 hardcore stuff which ROH also did some of you know, um, and yeah, and I just think you know, and Cornette's a great promo. I think that he comes off as unlikable because he does stuff like oh yeah, I book people that you wish you could meet. Like what kind of baby yeah, face start- says stuff like that? <laughs> Very big timey right off yeah. the bat is the yeah. first impression. Like, like yeah. for also for a guy who shits on like WWE and, and, and big league wrestling, including in this promo, to kind of start off with like, oh, I basically saying without saying like I've worked for WWE. Like, well, he's, well, he's, he's always had that mindset, right? Like, oh, there's the professional wrestling, and they're they're, they're, they're you know they're polished and pro, and, you know. But it's just like if you're gonna make him the mouthpiece, at least like inform him of what like the the issues are. I like. I, I don't know. Like, it's again, whenever I criticize Cornette in these promos, I always want to have the caveat, like, this obviously worked. So, yeah. but I don't know. I, I, I don't think he came off well. And he obviously got flustered at the end when he just went right to the homophobic stuff. You know, yeah, I was going to ask you, like, did you? I, I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask, like, did, like, obviously, this whole promo, Cornette's angry because Cornette, he's like the Hulk. He's always angry. And, you know, this promo was the point was to be angry in a way. But, like, did you, I thought that once, like, 
Zandig started scoring punches like late in that debate, that moment, like you just said, like I think Cornet, like when he dropped the homophobic thing, I thought that was like from a real, like a different kind of anger. I thought like he really did touch a nerve at that point. Well, like you're making me look bad because I don't know what I'm talking about and you're exposing yeah. me, like that kind of anger. Like for fans yeah. who watch this, like it's really fascinating. Like watch, you will see a change in his demeanor. Just, like it's not yeah. overwhelmingly obvious, but like it, it does feel like he kind of realizes like fuck, you know. Yeah. Now, yeah. now when I said Cornet wasn't likable – I don't think that like Zandig and I would be getting on like old buddies either. Like, uh, nor I, I don't think that I would really enjoy his company. Nor do I think he could go five minutes without wanting to kick the shit out of me. So <laughs> I feel like you know it would be mutual there. But you know, just I feel like Cornet sh- could be better in these if he just was willing to like learn a little bit about what he was talking about here. I mean, he's so much more polished. Like, if he had, yeah, yeah, if he had just known his stuff, he'd done his homework, I think he would have mopped the floor because I think he was kind of on his way to doing that. And then, like, yeah, he just gave a bunch of free kind of shots to Zandig. Um, And and I kind of remember people kind of being surprised that Zandig actually got those in. But again, I, I think. You know, if you rewatch the shows like us, you you would you can tell right from the start that Cornet never really, like you said, does his homework. You know, I wonder what would, I wonder what would have been different if if it was like Hero instead of Zanding in that spot. Um, but you know, I wonder if like it would have been better for this, for the CZW side, or if it would have been worse because Hero would have been like too reverent of Cornet. Yeah, I, I think Hero wouldn't have gone for the throat. Like he certainly probably wouldn't have done like the in New Jersey under a table blowjob. Yeah, 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 definitely. Not, but, that, but that would have been be- that's better if he didn't do that. You know, like that's that's bad that he that Sandy did. That. Yeah, but I, yeah. I, I don't I don't know how much of those kind of things bugged him. But like I, he wouldn't have gone for those kind of low blows. I think we can assume. Yes. Um. <clears throat> so the Observer wrote. Although most polls have Cornet clearly dominating the debate, it went off tremendously, and Zandig came off far better than expected. At one point, both raised their voices and started yelling at each other. So again, that was kind of—it's funny. Like it is, I, I feel like the Observer always so glowingly in this period loves everything Cornet does that just to say that um, Zandig came off better than expected, like is—it's almost like when a poll is skewed and kind of does like average numbers for the party they're usually skewed against like just to, even Dave having to kind of admit, oh people were surprised and again like it's not like Zandig was great it's just he got a few good lines in yeah I mean the thing about like the ROH versus CZW feud like this the dirty secret is like like the, the, to the extent there was any reality to the feud it was sort of like a turf war you know where it's like you know just like who who got more buzz who was you know but like philosophically it's not like CZW and ROH in this era were that different, right? Like they, like obviously CZW leaned more into the hardcore stuff. ROH was a little bit more like elegant, but it wasn't like the stuff they were presenting up and down the cards were completely worlds apart in terms of style. You know what I mean? They both, they both, they both, they both were like, you know, kind of like followers of ECW, successors to ECW in two kind of slightly different ways. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. And I, I think it probably is telling that a lot of the CZW fans, like some of their chants, like for Danielson and stuff, is the word overrated. Like, I don't even necessarily think you maybe, I, I'm sure some CZW fans hate ROH. I'm sure a lot of them were just playing along, like we talked about off the top. But I think some of it was not even just, I, we hate Ring of Honor because of what it is, but just because that kind of resentment of maybe going to what you just said, which is like, you know, people act like Ring of Honor is so far above it, and like guys like Cornet think like it, it's a different world with different wrestlers. Like, like 
I, I can imagine if you were a really big CZW fan and saw a lot, of these, a lot of these guys come up from there, you would probably resent that. You know, you'd feel yeah, like, well, exactly. why do they get so much shit? You know, so much praise. And like, no one appreciates that, you know, we recognize some of these guys first. You know, they got their bookings here first. Yeah, you know, and like, and, and like, no CZW match ever gets voted for match of the year, but that's because Dave Meltzer never took like two seconds to review a CZW show, you know? Yeah. And that reminds me of like, I remember there was that letter we, I think we read once to the torch, like from years ago where someone was like, you know, why don't you review IWA Mid-South shows? I imagine, I think a lot of, of the other big indies of this era, there was definitely some resentment from their hardcore fans of like, why doesn't anyone give like one twentieth of the coverage to us when we also have good stuff and a lot of the same wrestlers? And I don't think that's necessarily completely unwarranted. No, it's not. And like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's like, I feel like the, the major sheets or whatever you want to call it, the influencers can pay attention to like one indie at a time. Like it yeah. feels like, you know, like, and then, you know, once ROH's buzz died down a little bit and Dave Meltzer started going to PWG shows in person, suddenly he would review those shows. You know what I mean? Like it's, and uh, now it's GCW. Like yeah. it's, it's the yeah. one that you might get a little bit of lip service. Right. Yeah. Although certainly none of those matches have getting the kind of reviews that would get them match of the year. <laughs> in uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm just saying like in terms of Dave, yeah. Mel- I don't like, in terms of Dave Meltzer's reviews, he's not given those matches match of the year type buzz. No. That's all I'm saying. There was the Will Ospreay, Nick Wayne match, which yes, is like yes. catnip for Meltzer for a variety of reasons, but yes. he, he went out of his way to watch that one. Um, anyway, brings us to the main event. Team CZW of Chris Hero, Necro Butcher, and Super Dragon defeated Team ROH of Adam Pierce, BJ Whitmer, and Samoa Joe in 25 minutes, 28 seconds, when Hero pinned Pierce after Claudio Castagnoli interfered and assisted Hero with a hero's welcome. So, Matt, this is the big man event. This is like the selling point in a lot of ways of the show. I guess that and the debate. I mean, very memorable. What would you think about it? Yeah, so – this is part of a pair of matches that I think are companions, which is this and then Cage of Death in a couple, few months later. And in terms of historical significance, people talk about the Cage of Death all the time. It's like, you know, one of the greatest things in ROH history. This match is sort of forgotten, except from like the real hardcore fans. And I think, by the way, this is another thing where I can say part of that is Dave Meltzer reviewed Cage of Death and didn't review this match. So this yeah. match doesn't have a star rating, nothing like that. Um, so that's a big difference in terms of buzz and stuff. Um, I know that live, watching both of those, I had more fun at this because it was all over. The crowd was going nuts, you know, constantly. It wasn't like, you know, these like, you know, because, you know, the cage, we'll talk, get to the cage of death when we get to it. But like this match just like was, was pretty nonstop, constant. I feel like actually the closest comparison I have to a live experience for this was the um, Anarchy in the Arena match. That AEW had at um, at Double or Nothing 2022, which I was also live for, and I feel like those these matches are fairly similar. Uh, I wish this match had music playing during half of it, but um, uh, so CW live theme would have been great. Yeah, live this match was an absolute blast. Um, I think that on video, what would have made the match better was commentary, <laughs> um, because this is one of those matches where. Gabe decided, you know, the, the the atmosphere speaks for itself, electric atmosphere, so we're just going to not have any commentators. And I think that worked for Joe versus Kobashi because it was very simple and, you know, just like very easy to follow. Um, I think it worked for the last few minutes of the Dragon Gate six-man. I don't think it works here. There was just, there's just too much to talk about. There's too much setup. There's too much story. Um, there's too much wandering 
to where you and notice the, you notice it more when there's nobody. They talking. don't even pre they don't even pre announce that it's not going to have content. Like every other yeah. time, they'll say, "Oh, we're you know." Often they even announce the first minute and they'll go, "Oh, well, Ashley, speak yourself." They don't even like after the last match, they're just gone. Yeah, I think this is the most egregious example so far of like clearly this was not the right decision for this particular match. Um, but you know, obviously, it's a really you know exciting match. Just, you know, things are happening all the time. I think. What, this match, it doesn't exactly have a really super logical flow. It kind of goes from one thing to another. You know, you start out with a few different, like, pairings. Like, first of all, the first thing that happens, which sets up later in the match, is Claudio comes out, steals Zandig's barbed wire bat, and, like, Zandig chases him to the back. Like, that's the, uh, that's the opening. And then you get, you know, um, three pairings, which is Necro Butcher and Adam Pierce, BJ Whitmer and Super Dragon, and Samoa Joe and Chris Hero. And Samoa Joe does a lot of his big moves right off the bat. You know, he does the um, the uh, the big kick. He does the the senton, the elbow suicida. Does the ole ole kick, sending Hero into the front row. Um, one point very early in the match, as Necro is hitting Pierce with chairs and vice versa, something happens to Adam Pierce's head where he gets this huge gash, and it happens like very very early, very 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 early on in the match. Where, um, he's, you know, he's bleeding profusely from the side of the head, clearly hard way, and we'll definitely get a good shot of why later on. But, um, so that, that's uh, a major event in the match. But there's a lot of really hard chair shots to the head from Necro and Pierce early. And I'm just thinking, like, man, taking hard chair shots to the head is one thing, but doing it at the beginning of a 25 minute brawl, like, could you imagine, like, the headache that you have and then just, like, having to do a whole thing for 25 minutes after that. Well, also, like, what if it goes wrong? Like, like What if, if it ever get, goes wrong, right? Exactly, but especially, like, knowing how wrestlers love to work through stuff. Like, if I was doing something dangerous, I would at least kind of comfort myself with the idea, like, if it comes at the end, if it goes wrong, like, this will all be over soon. If knowing, like, oh, if this hurts really bad or makes me woozy, I'm going to probably just gut it out for 25 more minutes of yeah, this. Like, crazy. Yeah. I mean, here, but that's what Pierce did, right? He had this giant gash in the side of his head for the literally the entire match. Um, and <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but yeah, so they have this pairing, like, um, this, um, pairing off and Joe and BJ at one point do double, do a double team where they suplex Super Dragon onto a pile of chairs in the crowd. Um, I, I will say this during the crowd brawling sections, BJ did his little, like, double arms pose. Just a little too often. I'm like, all right, <laughs> stop doing that pose. But I guess what the reason is, because while he's doing his brawls, he sort of has to buy time for the other spots to happen in the other sections of the building. So I guess mm. it's just like, what am I going to do right now? Oh, I'll pose. And the crowd will cheer. <laughs> um, so I guess it works. Um, when we do finally get Joe and Necro pairing off with the stiff strikes and the headbutts, the crowd obviously obviously loves that. Um, um, ROH is pretty dominant early on. By the way, you also have two referees here. You have Todd Sinclair counting the ROH pins and Bryce Remberg counting the CZW pins. So that's a, a good little touch. At one point, Super Dragon gets in the face of this fan in a franchise Shane Douglas t-shirt. Like, it's really, really close until BJ just, like, wails on him. And it's funny because the fans seemed kind of scared when Super <laughs> Dragon got in his face. And then when BJ hit Super Dragon with the chair, the guy was like, yeah, take that, fuck you. Like, you know was, what? That's, that's a fan that should have said he's my hero because that guy might have just had his life saved. Yeah, knowing Super Dragon. I mean, yeah, so was this the match where they they, they have the story that the um, 
that the one fan where Super Dragon does like a shoot monkey flip to him. I, do you, you know that story? Like I didn't see that, and it certainly wasn't on camera. But do you know that story? Uh, I, it's funny. I forgot, but I just looked at my notes. So um, I'll just the only note I have on it is um, Mike Johnson wrote there were only two downsides to the show. One was Super Dragon was getting really physical with the fans, and with the sec- exception of one dolt who threw water on him, there was no call for that whatsoever. Ring of Honor needs to ensure this doesn't happen again if they intend to keep the great rapport with their fans. So uh, and yeah, he just keeps going on, but it's um. And I, if, like, you, if you do enough searching, I guarantee you will find something on this shoot monkey flip. But yeah, it sounds like this was like like multiple people that Dragon was having encounters with during this match. I'm glad I was in the bleachers, the ROH bleachers, and not on the floor to get in the way of Super Dragon. But it did add to like the excitement in the building of just like the chaos, you know, like which is yeah. what made the match so exciting live. Um, but so at some point. A uh, a table shatters and like Joe starts attacking Necro. I mean, a Necro starts attacking Joe with the charge of the table. Um, at, at one point, um, Super Dragon he's in the ring with BJ. He charges BJ, but BJ moves. Super Dragon hits his shoulder on the post and flies to the floor. And then you get Joe and Necro in the ring, and Necro sets up two chairs facing each other and goes to power bomb Joe onto them, but. Joe fights back, and then he turns the chairs around, which is a spot we've seen a few times since then. But this is the first time I remember seeing it, where he turns, he puts the chairs back to back, and then back suplexes Necro onto like both of them, which is that spot was nuts at the time. I think you know it's a little bit more cliched now, but like at the time, it's like holy shit, that is insane. I mean, it's still it's still insane. (laughs) But I was just I had to rewatch a bit of something for something I was writing where it was uh, Joey Janela versus Kenny Omega from Dark, and I remember like they do that spot then, and even then, it still it still feels shocking even all these years later when you see a guy like get slammed onto just the 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 top end of chairs all back to back it's like having so such, little surface area such a stupid thing to do <laughs> um, but um you know i mean as necro continues to take chair, chair shots to the head over and over and over and over again in this match um but um and then there's a cool spot i remember live the visual of this was really cool joe goes to the back of the armory and then like gets a table and carries it all the way to ringside and i'm just thinking like you know, there's probably tables under the ring, but it is a really cool visual, so it's probably worth that, um, you know, of Joe just, like, walking all the way through the crowd with the table. Um, we get this, like, mid-match fist fight with Necro and Pierce, and Necro basically stiffs him and knocks him down and asks Remsburg to count him down. And while this is going on, Super Dragon starts digging the timekeeper's bell into Joe's head. Pierce gets up, gets the better of the fist fight with Necro, but then Hero breaks that up by cravatting Pierce, so Pierce just back suplexes him. Um, then we get Joe sidewalk slamming Super Dragon on a table that's propped up on the apron that's basically already broken. Um, and then we go back to Joe versus Hero, but Super Dragon and Necro jump him. Necro starts whipping Joe with his belt. Pierce Spinebusters Hero gets a... It's so funny. He hits a big splash on Hero while yelling, ROH! I thought that was a little bit much. Just a little bit. But um, Super Dragon breaks that up with the top rope double stomp. And then he hits the curb stomp, the real curb stomp on Pierce. Not before giving the crowd the middle finger. Um, And then Whitmer comes in. Clothesline Super Dragon who does the flip bump. 
exploders him onto a chair. Great near fall there. Probably the best near fall so far in the match. Then Necro, he basically pilmanizes BJ Whitmer's head into the chair, hits that chair with another chair, which just had to feel terrible. Then Pierce gives Necro another head chair shot to the head. Super Dragon chucks a chair to the floor onto Pierce's head. Um, I, I feel like I should rewatch this and just count the amount of chair shots to the head that I we just get on camera because I'm sure there's plenty more that we don't. Um, Super Dragon then puts Whitmer's head in, like, in the chair, which is, like, sit, sitting up, and he comes off the top rope with a double stomp to the chair, to BJ's head. Just terrible. Like, the headshots in this match, it's insane. And, um, you know, BJ kicks out, another big pop. Then the big spot of the match, uh, Whitmer and, uh, Super Dragon fight on the apron until Dragon hits a really crazy psycho driver, which is basically, um, the Super Dragon has Whitmer up in a torture rack and then, like, puts him down, like, into almost like a pile driver through the table onto the floor, which I guess is probably the biggest spot of the night, honestly. Um, and that's when we get, we start moving toward the finish. Hero motions to the back of the building. Zandig comes in. Joe goes after him. And actually, Joe actually sells for Zandig a bit as Zandig pounds on him. Um, Necro knocks out Sinclair from behind and Sinclair takes a pretty good face first bump. Um, and Hero proudly locks on a cravat until Claudio appears. Claudio shoves Zandig to the floor, pulls Hero off of Joe, but then he shoulder blocks Joe to a huge reaction, and then hugs Hero, even bigger reaction. Um, so it's funny, because the way that Hero reacted to Claudio shoulder blocking Joe almost was like he was surprised. So is the storyline here supposed to be that Hero didn't know that Claudio was going to turn on ROH? I couldn't tell. I'm not sure. That'd be interesting because, again, I think we talked about on a recent show, like The Last Show or something, like there were some things they did in that angle that made it definitely foreshadowed this. It would be weird if, like, Hero wasn't in on it, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I, just the way his reaction, I guess, you know, just like he you was... No, like, you're right. Either way, it is kind of inconsistent. Yeah, I mean, I mean, either way, it was it got over really big. It was a good angle yeah. when, when, when Claudio turned. And so then Pierce comes in, he missiles dropkick Claudio... But Hero takes him out. We get our first big homicide chant of this feud. And I wonder if that was the moment when Gabe was like, oh, that's the direction I should go. Where homicide is the savior of ROH. Because if you notice, after this show is when they start moving away from Joe as the main guy to homicide. Um, yeah. So I wonder if this was like a light bulb that went off in, jo- in Gabe's head or if he'd already had a plan like that in the first place. Because Homicide had nothing to do with the CZW thing at all before this. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting too. Like, yeah, like that the fans wanted – saw him as like someone that could save us before Ring of Honor had done a, a single tease for that. It's almost like – I wonder if, uh, if I was Homicide, I feel a little bad though because it felt like Joe was – that guy in the CZW feud until he started didn't get involved with it. Like they would always just chant for Joe when Ring of Honor was down now. I feel it's almost like, well, homicide's our second choice because Joe's involved now. So who's going to save us if Joe's already needing saving? It's well, homicide. I, th- I don't think that homicide would have been disappointed or surprised to learn that Samoa Joe was a bigger star than him at this point. Um, so I, I don't really feel like that, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, Kings of Wrestling, they hit the double team heroes. Welcome on Pierce. Hero pins Pierce. A huge CZW chant as Joe covers up Pierce. Um, obviously, if you could listen to you know my recap, there's so much that went on here, and the crowd was going so nuts. It was a blast. I, I I don't think it came off as well on video as it did live, and I think the lack of commentary does take it down a bit. But this was a great brawl. 
Um, very memorable. I think forgotten and worth watching. Man, do I wish they had fewer shots to the head. I just felt so terrible for these guys. Yeah, so um, as someone who's only ever seen this on video, who wasn't lucky enough to be there live, I can say this is a great match. It's clearly the match of the show. I think like a lot – the one thing I will say to start off with, I think like a lot of the matches in the CCW Ring of Honor feud, it probably does lose a little something if you're not fully invested in this. I could see some fans just think – who have come into this with no context just think, oh, that's a pretty good – garbage brawl but but I, I think if you're investing the story with a twist at the end and just knowing how this has been built up for shows and shows and knowing oh it's like the big joe like i love joe in this match but anyway um commentary would I, have ameliorated that problem that you're describing though yeah yeah no that's a great point too that that yeah exactly um i think one thing that's really good about this match is it kind of escape some of the pitfalls that ring of honor brawls can have like first it rarely goes deep into the crowd at least in terms of the video were shown uh, you were there a lot. i don't know if there was a lot of stuff in the crowd that we obviously there must have been with super dragon and stuff but when we do see it's very brief which basically means most of what we're seeing brawling is either in the ring or right at ringside which is really well lit so it's like you never have that problem of like oh i can't see what's going on and also the other thing is a lot of times with sometimes brawls, especially something that goes this long, it gets kind of repetitive and, and kind of boring in some ways if it goes this long. But because this match is just constantly cutting to somewhere else, to somebody else, even though it's still the action bores a little repetitive, a little bit like all the billion chair shots, like you never really get bored because it's always something new. It's always at least a different location, at least different wrestlers. Do you, see, not- do you see why I compared it to Anarchy in the Arena? Yeah, exactly. It's it, it, it's kind of like the brawl for our modern short attention span time. Like it's it, you're always getting something new. You're never like in one place. So yeah, it's like it's it's, it's a match that's like we're not going to give you time to be bored. Um. So yeah, those are the two. And I love Joe in this match because you know Joe's a great wrestler. I was just defending him on Twitter the uh, before we started recording and. Uh, one thing is, you know, we, we've documented this on through the years. He's kind of settled down to kind of like an elder statesman role at this point in Ring of Honor where he's not usually involved in the big things. His effort, you know, I don't think he's mailing it in, but he's not full out Joe because he's often not even called to be. But this match, I felt like was since it like Joe versus Kobashi, the most important he's felt like like in this match, particularly in the first opening 10 minutes or something like he feels like the most important guy in Ring of Honor. I just love yeah, it. Yeah, I, like, I don't think Joe was holding back at all. He didn't take all the chair shots everyone else did, but I don't think he would have anyway. Yeah. This is a match that feels like, like I love in the first 10 minutes, it feels like so many times when you see Joe, he's just kind of wandering around to where other people are brawling and like helping them out. And just like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll punch this guy and help him out. Like he's just kind of like the general where he's just like, you know, and then like you say, he gets the, makes this huge production of getting the table from the back. Like he really just feels like the guy again in this match, which I really loved. I, I really love that aspect of this match. Um, and yeah, it's just a lot of fun. I completely agree. You know, I'm on that, on that wagon all the time, even more than you. Cause I know sometimes you've enjoyed it, but just the no commentary thing. I agree. This is like the worst one that they've done in terms of you really could have used someone breaking some things down. I thought they were also smartly kind of set up the match, you know, the, the, the turn works, but also I know they were really trying hard to make BJ a thing. And this was probably like, his career peak in some respects. And I thought the way of, you know, this match is a brawl and it's fat. It, it's entertaining, but they really saved those two big kind of like show stealing spots of the match 
for him and drag super dragon, which I thought, you know, I don't know if that was a conscious thing, but like, you know, BJ explores super dragon on the open chair, like you said, and then dra- BJ takes the top rope psycho driver, you know, with his head on the seat of a chair, uh, I mean, off the top rope. And then he also, I think, uh, he takes a, the top rope double stomp with his head on an open chair. Like he there very much has like the Tommy dreamer ECW book at this point where between this and the, uh, the arena warfare show where it's like, we're just going to like destroy this guy so much that you're going to respect and love him. Like, and it works. He's just, yeah, yeah exactly. For like, this era, at least it worked. Yeah. And, uh, I imagine his ankle was probably still completely screwed up too. You know, this is the first show he worked after the triple shot where he broke his ankle on night one and couldn't wrestle the other two nights. So yeah, I guess, I I guess that, he never really has to do like running the ropes or anything in this match. Yeah. I, a, a crowd brawl is probably the easiest way to come back. I still bet it sucked to just walk on that thing. Yeah. But um, and yeah, I, I also want to shout Adam Pierce because he's a real gamer here to, as you mentioned, to work with a hard, a, a really gross gash and just taking abuse and and all the chair shots and even just necro butcher's punches. Like he, you know, I don't know how much Adam Pierce was ever dowled in this stuff before he got to Ring of Honor, but like. It is. I do respect him for he comes in as like this old school throwback, and within a few months, like he's just thrown into a lot of these kinds of things, you know. And he, you know, he's a gamer for it. So good for him in that sense. Um, Chris Hero probably does the least in this match, but I do like that he kind of picks and chooses the, his spots. He's kind of like just the seasoning on the seasoning on the match. Like sometimes when you see him, he's either just gloating or look like looking terrified if things are going bad for him. Like really the most he does in this match is just react to things, which I, I actually enjoyed. Um, yeah. So um, I, I guess the last thing I want to say, and I, I think I've touched on this before is I think the genius of the booking of this match, like the arena warfare is it feels like this monumental win for CZW, but when you actually step back and see like what did they gain, they won a random six man tag, and I think it's Adam. It was Adam Pierce taking the fall, right? Yeah. And it only they only win after interference. So it's like, but yet because it's the 100th show and the atmosphere and it's all been built to this and it's the main event of the 100th show, it feels like, oh man, this is a huge black guy for Ring of Honor. But when you actually set it, just like Arena Warfare, it's like, well, they didn't really like lose a dramatic match in, in like a in like a a very humbling we're going to put you over type way. And I don't know how much of that was conscious on Gay's part or not, but I think he kind of gets to have his cake and eat it too with these. Yeah, I mean, although, on the other hand, like, that's wrestling, right? That's, like, how heels win. Like, how many, you know, how many times in, like, history of wrestling do it, does a heel win, like, a big decisive, you know, feud ender, you know? So, like, you know, that's how, so the heels win because the feud has to continue, right? Yeah. So, that's how it goes. And, like, you know, you could say, you know, only the CZW crowd is only heels to the ROH fans, but also, clear, it, Hero is clearly acting like a heel, no matter what perspective you're looking at, you know? Yeah. I would also say, though, kind of echoing your point about, you know, people don't remember this much as nearly as much as the Death Before Dishonor uh, cage match. Like, they do more, I think, on the next show, another one of these big brawls with people, and it's probably not as good. I'll, we'll have to rewatch it. Well there's, no, like, well, there's no Joe in it, which is a big difference. Yeah, but, but but people don't remember that as much, I think, also just because, again, it's that magic of, oh, it's the 100th show, you know? Yeah, well, yes, It just exactly. feels more important, even though it's just another 
tag. It's also the just, first. It's also the first ROH for CZW official like big brawl. Yeah, like that. that, that, that that's that, an that, actual that, match. That's another element too. Yeah. So um, all that was really good. Um, I'm just looking at uh, uh, Pierce at one point says, "You ain't shit to Necro." So I thought that was. <laughs> <laughs> right before he gets the crap beat out of him. The, the, there was a part, like, th- this match was really brutal. I, I forget if you mentioned this, but there's a point where um Necro takes a shard of a broken table, still like a piece of, like, the metal support stuck to it, and he just throws it and hits Joe right in the head with it. Like, Joe didn't take a head, chair shot. I was like, man, you are you are going for, if you're throwing that at Joe, you're taking your life into your own hands. He also put it near uh, Joe's neck at one point. Y- yeah, just, um... Okay, I was looking at my notes. This is a funny moment. Um, uh, Pierce suplexes uh, Necro, and Necro takes off his belt, like you said, and whips Joe with it. And did you hear? A fan says at this point, "Please don't let him take his pants. Please don't let his pants come off." The fan says, "You can." <laughs> I thought that was good. There was also a dueling Super Dragon Supper Dragon chant, which was like again another online nickname for people that did not like Super Dragon, as he had a little bit of pudge in his midsection at this point. They would call him Supper Dragon. Um, but yeah, overall, I think this was just a match where like the booking and the action really came together. But so some notes, one interesting note, Matt, this is from the observer. Dave wrote Necro Butcher pulled himself off a pro wrestling unplugged show in Philadelphia that afternoon because CZW owner Zandig threatened to pull him out of the feud if he worked the shot. So I love that this was like a bargaining chip for Zandig, like. If you work for our competitors, like you're not going to get to play with the Ring of Honor boys, which honestly he made the right choice because this turns out to be a big deal for uh, Necro. And uh, then um, the Observer also wrote Necro clobbered Pierce legit with the wrong end of a chair, resulting in Pierce getting 12 staples shaped like an L in his head. Dave, as always, lousy journalism. It was yes. shaped like an H. Very clearly an H. Yeah. Um the Torch wrote, Ring of Honors claimed that BJ Whitmer and Adam Pierce are doubtful for the double shot next weekend in Ohio. Whitmer suffered a neck injury during the six-man tag match, and Pierce needed 12 staples to close a con on his head. The neck injury was totally like an angle, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, Whitmer works, and doesn't I think Pierce get involved too? So, yeah. The, uh, again, with some of these things, when, when, when the reporters take the Ring of Honor Newswire stuff, like the Ring of Honor Newswire stuff was always much more blending reality and story. So I feel like sometimes they would kind of take things maybe a little too literally. Yeah, they got, but, wor- they got worked a lot by our yeah. wish back then. Yeah, especially because Ring of Honor, um, again, with those Newswires, they would put some reality in there. Like, I mean, Pierce really did, I'm sure, get hit with the wrong end of a chair and need 12 staples to close his head. But yeah. Um Anyway, after the match, Zandi and Claudio on the CZW team go into the CZW section of the crowd where the fans chant for them as they stand among them. Ray of Honor fans chant back as Joe stares from the ring, just looking furious. Uh, Claudio holds up his Ring of Honor cha- his jacket that had Ring of Honor written on it, but he's now torn it in half. The crowd then chants match of the year. So the, certainly the crowd in the night loved this match as much as you did, Matt, in the building. Uh Joe gets on the mic and says, we've, we've only just begun. A fan gets right in Zandig's face and pantomimes sucking a dick. <laughs> just another delightful part of the show. Uh, Joe says, do the CZW fans a favor and hit their music because that's the last time they're ever going to hear it here, which is just like a very classic Samoa Joe, like badass kind of line. I also, I also really like that Claudio took that rhinestone ROH jacket and 
tore it up and held up the yeah. torn one on the bleachers. I thought that was a really cool visual. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool visuals on the show. And just also in the bleachers, again, with that sign that's been spray-painted, and now he's holding up the torn-up ROH shirt. Like, they're, they're defaming and defacing Ring of Honor every way they can. So CZW's theme then does start. Everyone's attending to be Jay Whitmer, who is still selling on the floor from the psycho driver to the table. He's clutching his neck, selling that very legitimate injury, obviously. Um, you know, for all I know, it was legitimate. Who knows? But, uh, I mean, probably didn't feel good on his neck. Yeah. Um, Zandig poses. We actually see Zandig. He's actually posing for photos with CZW fans, which I thought was kind of funny. That was a great, that was a great touch, honestly. Like he's, he's in a good mood now. Yeah. And Whitmer is being carried to the back on a table. Uh, next we go backstage where Gary Michael Capetta is again joined by Colt Cabana. Colt is anguished. He says he owes the fans an apology for tonight, only going four minutes when the fans expected 30, a match they'd remember. He says after eight long months of fighting for his life, of punching, of fighting, of grueling and brawling. I like that he just says of grueling and moves on. He was eating a lot of gruel, Matt. He goes of grueling, of brawling with homicide. Uh, Colt wonders if he just forgot how to wrestle. He says, uh, he has to work his way back up from the bottom. If he has to do that including beating each and every one of those dempsies he says that's fine with him well he Colt also said he also says during this promo like wrestling is an art and maybe he just forgot how to do it like he forgot the art of wrestling <laughs> mm. all sorts of easter eggs here he he knew podcasts when they were just a nascent just starting off Matt. um right. he goes that's fine with him you know if he has to start from the bottom again colt says he'll fight danielson again one day and he'll take the belt back to chicago where it belongs so again clearly they already have this whole storyline set they're foreshadowing it immediately after this um we next get a shot of someone cleaning the blood from adam pierce's head and we see the side of his head has a disgusting h-shaped gash in the side one of the grossest like cuts i've ever seen in professional wrestling and uh yeah that is the 100 show matt that is our 100 show what a crazy show i will say this show is unique in the sense of um it's the rare ring of honor show i would recommend not for the wrestling not that the main event isn't great and not that the aj seidel briscoe tag isn't very good or the delirious thing but i feel like so much of the draw on this show more than the wrestling is all the storylines. And, and I felt like this was a show that it really hit home to me, home to me. Like we are now in the era of ring of honor where like the characters are as, are not maybe as big a draw as the wrestling, but this is, I think the first time in ring of Honor uh, history where the characters and the stories are like a significant part of the draw. Like even just on the undercard, like the Jimmy Jacob stuff, delirious, you know, all of that stuff, like the, the crowd participation with Jimmy Ray, like we've really gotten to the point where a lot of the fun of going to a ring of honor show at this time, I think is just the characters. Yeah. I mean, so now that we're at the end of the milestone series, I think we can very clearly say it lives up to its reputation. Like it is a stellar uh, collection of shows. I don't think that this one could touch the last like four um, in terms of like wrestling quality, which they were just on another level. Um, but, you know, and, and, and certainly I found that a lot of the, the homophobic elements just left a bad taste in my mouth. But I'd say this might be the best booked ROH show ever. Um, just so many really great booking ideas, you know. I think, you know, even though the Claudio angle, you could say, you know, was kind of telegraphed, like it came off super well. You know, the, the, the CZW win, like worked on so many levels, you know, both, in CCW's favor and in ROH's, like you mentioned. I think the delirious thing got over really well, especially considering it was probably a last-minute audible after Davey Richards got hurt. 
uh, right? Um, yeah. I think that the, the Cabana loss, I think, was really good booking. I, I thought that the, the Jimmy Jacobs thing was clever. I think this was just a, like, such a well-booked show. Like, to me, it really just, like, highlights just, like, what a really disciplined and clever and thoughtful Booker Gabe was when he was at his best. Like, this is, I'd say this is Gabe Sapolsky's booking at its best. Um, so, I mean, I think that's a good reason to recommend it on its own. So it's interesting. You, you have the best wrestling shows in ROH history in the Midwest and to a lesser extent, New York the week before. And then you kind of follow up with like the best, you know, one of the best angle driven shows in ROH history. So, you know, it really goes to show you why this era of ROH was so well remembered. Yeah. And I completely agree. I think the Gabe thing is a great point because I don't know if this has changed. I think I heard this quite a while ago, but I, I think people I've heard somewhere, maybe Gabe himself said this somewhere that like the CZW feud, it's one of Gabe's proudest things he's ever done in wrestling. I think, I think actually Chris here on that podcast, we referenced a lot, quite a while ago on the hell freezes over show. I, I think he referenced there that I think he said that Gabe has said that that's like one of the proudest things in his wrestling career. Maybe that might have been it, but like, you see shows like this and, um, you know, Death Before Dishonor this year, which we'll get to, like, I think it is some of Gabe's best booking. So I think it's not just because it's that successful. I think, like, if I was in his position, I'd be like, this is the stuff that would go on my resume. Like, this is some of my best work if I was him. So, some yeah, of the I could- best work of any wrestling booker in the past 20 years at least. Yeah, like he, he just. I mean, did seriously, a- you know, like, I mean, when you, when you think of the pantheon of great angles from this century. That's definitely one of them. Well, I also think one big thing about two was, and this show is a big part of that, is this is something like, I remember Dave, like, you know, he wouldn't always talk about Ring of Honor, but he would cover the big things. And I remember he would rave about this at the time. I mean, we mentioned a little bit of the coverage of it off the top, like that this was an interpromotional angle done right. And I think one thing that made it this look even better is we weren't that far removed from the invasion, like the WWE, WCW invasion. And so... I think that it was like people were so, I think, hungry for an interpromotional storyline that actually has a good beginning, middle, and end, and no one's like too worried about like giving up a win to the other side. Like, I think it almost makes him look better by having that kind of really bad comparison point not that far in the past. Yeah, and and I think what you will really be able to highlight when we get to Death Before Dishonor, like the thing one of the things that made this angle work is that it does not overstay its welcome like if anything yeah. you could argue it could have gone even a little bit longer but i think the fact that it it started it had dramatic ups and downs and it ended is a really good mark in its favor yeah so uh i i think again maybe if you don't really love the season you'll lose a little bit but the atmosphere is like nothing else i think no matter what this is a must like a really big recommended show so that is the show for plugs uh, through the years at gmail.com. T-H-R-O-H for through is how you can get in contact with us. Uh, I should just mention I uh, recorded this in a different room and bought a brand new microphone. So if for some reason it doesn't sound as good or sounds better, if, if it's an, at a noticeable difference in some way that bothers you or delights you, let us know. Because if I get a bunch of people saying, oh, I heard like – a baby crying or something somewhere down the street. I, I, I will change things up, but hopefully it worked out well. Um, our Twitter is at Trevor game and at mayor MGF. I mean, as long as Twitter, who knows how long that will last Matt. And uh, yeah. So coming up, we have finally finished the milestone series next time. Episode one Oh one. 
you know, we'll get to, we just covered some of the biggest shows in Ring of Honor history, but I always love just as much the shows that people kind of have forgotten. I love seeing if we can mine any, like, hidden nuggets of interesting things. And we are going to a lesser thought of show, probably. Not in terms of quality, but just people don't think about it. Weekend of Champions Night 1, the first half of a double shot. Uh, Nigel McGinnis will be back. He'll be wrestling a, uh, Christopher Daniels for the pure title. I believe that's the night of the uh, Jimmy Yang finally getting to wrestle Brian Danielson. We'll see how he fares. And I we get another big CCW Ring of Honor brawl. So it should be fun to be away from the high-octane pressure of covering the biggest shows in Ring of Honor history I hope you'll join us. Thank you again so much for supporting us for 100 episodes. Until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.